Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program through True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory and True History Herstory of Nasara. Blessed Christmas Eve to you. Merry Christmas to you and your family at this most holy season. We're going to go into our meditation at this time and focus on everyone joining us in Christ consciousness. So please go into your heart center at this time. Going into your heart center. Call forth to merge with your soul, with your higher self, with your monad, with your mighty I am presence, fully and completely now, and all of your multidimensional being, through to your God presence and Goddess presence. See yourself in the most glorious pillar of light, filled with the purest, most refined golden energy, Connecting you directly to source, connecting you directly to the heart of Mother Earth. Filling you with that beautiful golden ray of Christ consciousness and eternal peace. Let us invite everyone in to join us. Please affirm after me. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all of my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And feel your heart expanding as we see everyone in their own pillar of golden light, connecting to their holy Christ selves, their muddy I am presence, as we connect heart to heart, soul to soul, high heart to high heart, cosmic heart to cosmic heart with everyone across the planet. In this time of unity, in this time of goodwill toward all. And so we call forth for everyone, for every man, woman, and child, as well as ourselves, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past and forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. We welcome for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council and mission council. 
and we welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, all of this blessed planet, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the bird kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature. the fairy kingdom, the elemental kingdom. We call forth the whales, the dolphins, all the magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, all of the Christed beings, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all those working through the Office of the Christ, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, and we welcome all Ascended Master healers and healing teams for the highest planetary healing that we can receive at this time. And we welcome at this time all of our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and all of their healing teams. We welcome those that we work most closely with, Lord and Lady Arcturus, the Arcturians, the Arcturian healing teams and healing technologies. We welcome the Pleiadians, the Pleiadian Emissaries of Light and their healing teams. We welcome Lord and Lady Sirius, the Syrian Archangelic League of the Light and their healing teams. We welcome Lord and Lady Chiron and the Chiron Healers. Lord and Lady Andromeda and the Andromedan Healers. Lord and Lady Venus and the Venusian Healers. Again, all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service. And we welcome the entire company of heaven asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 999 times, 999 trillion times, all in alignment with divine will and divine law. We ask at this time for the assistance of all the rays, all the flames, all the universal laws and ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received individually and collectively through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our auric field, multidimensionally, on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level, all in divine order, the maximum that we can receive ever expanding to perfection. 
And we ask that with all that we receive, it be easily and effortlessly digested and assimilated, grounded and anchored, integrated and embodied without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. We welcome all those in our circle of support from the very first name that created it. To every man, woman, and child, every family member, every loved one. Every pad, every animal, every group, every organization, each and every business, each and every institution, each and every nation, each government, each military, all the legislative branch and legislation of each government, all of the executive branch and the work of the executive in each government, all of the judicial branch, all of the judges, all of the decisions within each government, and each and every weather pattern each and every earthquake, each and every winter storm, each and every hurricane, each and every place of drought, each and every weather pattern affecting this planet. And we call forth every condition of life in the circle of support as we hold things in perfection to eliminate all homelessness, to eliminate all hunger, to bring forth perfection for one and all. And we call forth all of the energy of this holiday season, every aspect of the solstice, the new moon, Christmas Eve, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Boxing Day, all of the winter holidays, and all of the celebration going on, all of the focus on different aspects of life. We call that into our collective cup of consciousness to truly transform people, to bring them into unity consciousness, to bring them into harmony and balance, to bring them into their hearts and into their holy Christ self. We ask that Gaia receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field multidimensionally. through all of her ley lines and song lines to the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system. Through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light, 
as we continue through this holy season going up this spiral of evolution. And Gaia takes a rightful place as Freedom Star. And thus we focus visualizing the gold in through and around the planet. Through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water. Through Gaia's auric field, our own auric field. And through all relationships, through all communication, through every aspect of our lives and our being. And we see the transformation taking place. We feel it. We experience everyone having that Christ connection. And we affirm the identity of God is individualized as me now. I am the self-expression of God, Goddess. I am the presence of God, Goddess, where I am. I am a Christed being. I am the Christ of God. I live in Christ consciousness. God, Goddess is right where I am. And I'm eternally aware of this presence. God conceived within its mind an idea of itself and expression. I am that idea made manifest. God, God is this expressing as me now. I am the expression of Mother, Father, God. I am the Christ. I am Christ in action. I am love in action. The law, the creative energy of God-mind is flowing through the idea that I am now living. That idea is the Christ. The self-expression of God that I am. And my world becomes a reflection of that idea. As Christ is the healing principle, So the law restores my body according to the perfect pattern. As Christ is the abundance principle, in all sufficiency of supply, now manifest for my use. As Christ is the harmony principle, all of my relationships are lovingly renewed and strengthened. I am now the living truth of wholeness and fulfillment. And so it is. We focus on the Christ energy in each of the chakras. Bring your attention to the root chakra. As we say, I am more than a physical body. I am God, Goddess in action. 
focusing on the sacral chakra. I am more than my personality, more than the thoughts of my mind. Focus on the solar plexus chakra. I am more than my feelings and emotions. Bringing your attention to the heart chakra. I am the unconditional love of Christ in expression as me. And the fullness of spirit dwells in me. Focused on the throat chakra, we say, I am the Christ consciousness of power and dominion. I am the creative master of my world. Focus on the third eye. I am the Christ of God in whom my mother, father, God is well pleased. I am illumined. I see only the reality of God. Bringing your attention to the crown chakra, we affirm, I am one with the universe. I am the universe. I and my mother, father, God are one. All that the God presence is, I am. I am the spirit of the living God. And so it is. Take a nice deep breath. The Spirit of God is the life force within me. And every cell of my body is filled with the intelligence, love, and radiant energy of God mind. God's will for me is perfect health. And God sees me as perfect. Therefore, wellness is the natural state of my being. I'm lifted up now into the consciousness of wholeness. I am healed and whole as my holy Christ self. I am one with source. I am my divine presence now. I am the power of strength. I am powerful. I can do all things through the strength of the Christ I am. I am the power of wisdom. And I call upon this power now to fill my heart and mind with the perfect light of perfect judgment and intuition. Through Christ in me, the very spirit of God, God as I am, my actions are right and perfect. I know what to do in all, at all times and in every situation. And I always do the right thing because it is the right thing to do. And what I know and what I feel are spiritual knowledge and inspiration 
guiding me every step of the day, every step of the way. I am consciously aware of the presence within me. I'm aware of that divine presence, and I am filled with the, the illumination of spirit. I am wisdom. I am love. I am light. I am Christ in action. And we see everyone joining us in this Christ consciousness. We do the following visualization. It is almost dawn, and you see yourself alone on a country road. There are hills on each side as far as the eye can see. And you notice the shapes of the trees standing tall in this first light. Smell the fresh, clean air as you begin to walk briskly down the road. Hear the songs of the birds, the music of the daybreak. Feel the delight of a magnificent new day. You are so full of life and love that you exclaim, thank you, God for the world that you've created, a world of peace, love, forgiveness, and understanding. Help us all to see this glorious reality, to know it. Let every member of your family on this earth awaken to the glory that has been ours since the beginning of time. And let this world reflect only your vision, your truth. Let the dream be healed. And suddenly you catch sight of the brilliant sun rising in all its grandeur and majesty. And out of the corner of your eye, you see someone walking down the hill to the road, followed by other men, women, and children. You look to the other side, and more and more people are streaming towards you. They join you. And they walk a step together, a spirited march of gladness and jubilation. And you look into the smiling faces and you realize that in the procession are people of all religions, nationalities, races, colors, and cultures. And as you look ahead, you see that the hills are now overspread with people. And you hear their songs of joy as they descend upon the road to merge with the assemblage. You continue through the villages and towns, and without asking a question, the residents stop what they are doing and merge with the parade. You reach the busy highway connecting the cities, and the cars and the trucks pull over and stop the occupants joining in the march. For just a moment, you think about the immensity of this gathering. And in your mind's eye, you see that it is happening everywhere. In all the nations on the earth, people have united, all moving in as one and following the sun, intuitively knowing that the old days, the old ways, will soon be gone forever. As nightfall approaches in each country, the processions stop and the people rest. They know it is the last night of darkness, and all over the world people are gathering 
to spend this time in grateful prayer and joyful meditation, waiting upon the birth of the new day. The final hour arrives, and the people of the planet stand together awaiting the dawn. It comes, slowly the light breaks through the darkness, the celestial voices heralding the commencement, the music of the spheres proclaiming the new beginning. The people look into each other's eyes and lovingly embrace. The lambs and lions are now united in harmony reigns. The healing light pervades and sickness and sorrow are no more. The bountiful land feeds and nourishes all and hunger is forgotten. There is now only perfect peace. Only perfect peace. It is the time of the new world, the new civilization, and the people are exceedingly glad. And thus we see everyone joined together in unity consciousness, filled with the love and the light of the Christ, bringing forth heaven on earth, bringing forth peace and harmony and joy and abundance, every one of God's blessings, and we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, so we ask this to be sealed and magnified in divine order, as we give thanks to each of you for your work, the service work that we do for ascension, for the healing of the planet, for the raising of consciousness, for the activation of Christ consciousness for all. See it sealed in the golden light as Sananda, as Lord Maitreya, as Sai Baba, all of the beings of the office of the Christ, send their blessings down to us individually and collectively at this time. So as I thank you for your service here today, I want to remind everybody of a very special event on Christmas Day. Every Christmas Day, Lord Maitreya gives his blessing to all those, again, especially that request it, to all those at 3 p.m., your own local time. Now, what I would suggest is because we do the work with everyone, that you do that prayer affirming, I am my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with all my family members and loved, one, loved ones. I am one with all that is. Call everybody in everybody in to join us. That is the way that we can include all humanity. And so do that before the three o'clock blessing. If you can sit quietly, that's great. If not, again, set your intention. I tell everybody too also to set their alarms 
about five minutes before so that you can be ready and open your crown and receive just hold the intention that you were receiving even if you have something else to do at that particular moment it will come the energies will come through for about an hour so make sure that you allow yourself to be open and receptive for this sacred Christmas blessing from the office of the Christ so thank you thank you thank you everyone I wish you a most glorious Christmas holiday and I want to remind you that there is no ascension meditation and activation call this week we never do a call for Christmas Day and I'm taking the 26th off as well so we will be gathering on the first and the second of January once again for the ascension meditation and activation call so please join us in further ascension work divine service work for 2023 it's going to be an amazing year again I'm going to give you the information so take it down again put it on your calendar for the first and second to go ahead and um, we begin at 8 45 p.m. Eastern time 5 45 p.m. Pacific time we have about 25 minutes of greetings Tar and Rama give us a brief update and the meditation begins at 9:30 Eastern 6:30 Pacific time and the phone number is area code 425-436-6260 area code 425-436-6260 the access code is 9467441 pound nine four six seven four four one pound so again I send to each of you infinite blessings of this amazing season and the Christed energy to integrate more fully than ever before for everyone and everything so have a Christed Christmas and the happiest of New Year's and we'll meet again on the first or I'll be here with Taran Rama on the 31st so in any case thank you thank you thank you much love and gratitude to each of you and with this I'm going to thank Taran Rama for their divine service thank Rainbow for her divine service and pass the talking stick Rainbow this light this golden light is so bright so glorious it's hard to see any of the other colors in there but everything's there all the frequencies that we could ever need or desire are there in that Christed energy and with the love of the Christ I pass this talking stick to you have a glorious Christmas everyone namaste so thank you Cheryl I'll take that talking stick and it is gorgeous and full of that Christed energy and all that golden light. Lots of gratitude for your divine service and have a very merry, merry, merry Christmas and we'll see you next week. So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen with CBS Radio and with Power and Rama. We assist them as well. So here's the deal. What we need for the radio is the whole month. 
which is $1,295. Just round it up to 13 and make it magical and feminine. And let's make those contributions so we can catch up with the radio so that Don and Doug can have a good Christmas as well. And here's how we make that contribution. You want to go to bbsradio.com, click on Radio Station 2 for this program, Radio Station 1 for the other two, and I'll explain those. So um, what you need to do is access the menu uh, at bbsradio.com for Radio Station 2, and there at the 1.30 hour is at the, the Pacific time of the listing. You will see the true history, history, and the Saranac Galactic Origins with Tara and Rama, this program. As you click on the icon there, that'll take you directly to our account with BBS Radio, where you can make a donation in any amount, and we hope it's a lot. <laughs> we have a lot to cover, and there's a lot of us here, so if we all pitch in, we can make it happen. In the other two programs on Radio Station 1 at the 6 o'clock hour on Thursday is the Night at the Round Table with Panel. And you click on that icon there. That takes you to our account. And the Friday night show is also at 6. And it's the Hard News on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. And you click on that icon. That takes you to our account. So those are all the different places you can go to access our account with BBS Radio. We are so grateful for Don and Doug and and sometimes TJ for all that they do to uh keep the best radio programs in the in the world on the air and so much gratitude for what they do for us here at BBS Radio. So let's let's get merry and generous and make it happen and thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action, and thank you for all the ways you show up in your lives. We're grateful that you join us here each week, and uh, and even if it's occasionally, we, we, we're really grateful that you uh, and welcome you here to these programs. So thank you. Um, then we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and they're still with a, a car that needs motor mounts. The motor mounts are actually a hundred and $40 a piece and change, so it's like $454 just for the mount and another couple hundred dollars for labor. So $660 is what we're looking for to make that happen with that car. It's basically uh, not safe to drive right now, so the sooner the better that this comes in and, and happens. Um, and I know that, you know, Rama has all kinds of angels around that car as he's moving it, but we can give those angels a break. We we can fix those motor mounts. So, <laughs> anyways, so much gratitude for all you angels for assisting in this. And then this is rent week, and so next Saturday that rent is due. It's eleven hundred and fifty dollars. And it's accompanied by $600, actually a little more than $600 in bills that need to be paid. Uh, so as you can, again, be generous and make a contribution here, that would be wonderful for them. Here's how we do it. You can access Rama's PayPal account by going to the web address, 
is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the homepage, as you click on that menu grid, um, the donate button will be found near the bottom of that list. That'll link you to Rama's PayPal account as you click on it. And and that's the Rainbow Roundtable account. So that's how you um, you can make that donation there. And the other way to do it is access the friends option by going to paypal.com and putting in Rama's email uh, there as as the giftee, the one you're gifting to. That email address is Coran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999. And that is at hotmail.com. And that gives you that, um, yeah, it eliminates the commercial charges. So it gives you, allows your money to go a little further. Either way, it's just perfect. We are so grateful for your contribution. Thank you for paying it forward. May you be blessed 10 times more in the near, in, in the immediate future for paying it forward like that. And I, I know it always works. So lots of blessings coming your way for taking care of business here. So we're very grateful for you. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. As you're sending a contribution, please send Rama an email and let him know what you sent and when you sent it. That email address. Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999-39 at Comcast.net. And um, what else? Oh, yeah. And if you need the um, mailing address, it is as follows. Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. And that is Post Office Box 280280. And they're located in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. 87567 is the zip code. I'll say it again. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So, again, thank you. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. And many, many, many wishes best wishes for a merry christmas and a happy kwanzaa and boxing day and and a happy new year we'll be back by that time so there you go uh may may you be blessed with all the love and the christian energy that comes with this holiday so 13 thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil when I'm passing this talking stick. And it has got that golden light all over it and all the rays as well and that Christed energy. So greetings, Taram Rama. Here comes this beautiful Christed talking stick, all full of that light. Welcome. Greetings. Greetings. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for yes. being here. And uh, there's a a, a a swell of um, sharing time this time of the year. And I would like to see it continue every yes. day. And I'm not saying it's not in 
each of our lives doing that. I think we don't have a choice, really, if you want to surrender to what's going on. The light keeps saying, Ahem, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to notice me because it's only getting brighter. <laughs> it is only getting brighter every day. Um, um, it's just, it's, it's like it snuck up on us. This is Christmas Eve. <laughs> Holy catfish. Um, I was going to just take a little moment. It's, this is about the solstice, yet, and it, um, it just, uh, it's something from the past, and I wanted to read it. It's not that long. Just to uh, give a, 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 a piece of wisdom that I enjoyed. So here I'm going to go here. At this time of the year, the winter solstice, a patriarchal theft by the church is revealed by the concept of Father Christmas. It was stolen from the indigenous shamanic cultures, primarily from Siberia mm -hmm. and the Nordic countries of northern Norway, Finland, Lapland, and the Arctic Circle. They equate Finland with Lap Lapland. Sometimes they keep all the northern countries in that category. Um, anyway, although before Santa and his flying steeds it was the female reindeer mm -hmm. who drew the sleigh of the sun goddess at the winter solstice. It was as the pagan traditions of winter were Christianized that Father Christmas was born. It was never Father Christmas that brought gifts and the return of light at the winter solstice. It was Mother Christmas, the ancient dear mother of old. Yeah. It was she who once flew through winter's longest, darkest night with the life-giving light of the sun in her horns. And from the British Isles, Scandinavia, Russia, Siberia, across the land bridge of the Bering Strait, she was revered spiritual she was a revered spiritual figure associated with fertility, motherhood, regeneration, and the rebirth of the sun, the theme of winter solstice. Her antlers adorned shrines and altars <laughs> were buried in ceremonial graves and were worn in shamanic headdresses. Her image was etched in standing stones, woven into ceremonial cloth and clothing, cast in jewelry, painted on drums, and tattooed onto skin. Reindeer were often shown leaping or flying through the air with neck outstretched and legs flung out uh, fore and aft. 
her antlers were frequently depicted <clears throat> as the tree of life, carrying birds, the sun, the moon, the stars. And across the northern world, it was the dear mother who took flight from the dark of the old year to bring light and life to the new. I was just going to say a couple of things that made me think of. In the medicine cards, they describe the deer as the dolphin of the land. And that's a, it's always stuck in my, high, my mind. And it's the number four, I believe, in the medicine cards. And that's spiritual foundation. And that kind of goes with bringing in the light. Uh, so I just added those things. Sorry, Rudolph. But the male reindeer shed their antlers in the winter. It is only the, the doe who retains her antlers, as she is the one who leads the herds in the winter. Ever since the early Neolithic period, the female reindeer was venerated by northern people. She was the life-giving mother, the leader of the herds upon which they depended for survival, and they followed the reindeer migrations for milk, food, clothing, and shelter. One of these cultures that honored the life-giving mother, the dear mother, was the Sami. These are the northern people of Norway and Sweden and fin Finland, those northern countries. And Siberia. And, and Siberia. Yeah, they had some more names as they went farther, as you mm -hmm. say, farther east. Uh, but yes, uh, for the Sami, the indigenous people of the Nordic countries, see, they stuck pretty much to the Nordic countries, Rama. Mm-hmm. Uh, Biaevi is the name for the sun goddess associated with mother motherhood the fertility of plants and the reindeer at winter solstice warm butter uh, is the symbol of the sunj Sunni, sun, sun, oh, of the sun, excuse me, that's a parenthesis there, was smeared on doorposts as a sacrifice to Biaevi so that she could gain strength and fly higher and higher into the sky. Biaevi was often shown accompanied by her daughter in an enclosure of reindeer antlers, and together they returned green and fertility to the land. Many other winter goddesses in northern legends were associated with the solstice. They took to the skies, led by a bevy of flying animals. One tells of the return of 
huh, of the return of Sa'uili, the Lithuanian and Latvian goddess of the sun. Holy cow. She flew across the heavens in a sleigh pulled by horned reindeer and threw pebbles of amber symbolizing the sun into chimneys. While many historical explorations of the pagan origins of Christmas observe the link between Santa's garb and the red and white Amanita mushroom. Yep. Every Christmas we get to this story. Ingesting mushroom, Amanita ingesting mushroom shamans. Few mention that it was the female shamans who originally wore red and white costumes trimmed with fur, horned headdresses, or red felt hats. The ceremonial clothing worn by medicine women, healers, of Siberia and Lapland was green and white with a red peaked hat. Curled toed boots, reindeer mittens, fur lining and trim. Considering that most of the shamans in this region were originally women, it is likely that their traditional wear is the true source of for Santa's costume. And it is also very likely that they were the first to take shamanic flight with the reindeer on winter's darkest night. I just thought that was something to read today. And I guess We'll do this. This is a, a little bit of the hard news. It's uh, Richard Wolf from this week. He had uh, some uh, poignant things to say. So we will go there. Where is it now? Oh, man. Hold on just a second. I got to start that over again. One, two, three, four. Whoops. Okay, let's start that again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There it is. Okay, let's do this. Oh. Turn the sound up here. There's going to be talk about economic update. Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives and those of our children. I'm your host, Richard Wolf. Today's show is going to be talking about many topics. We're going to have to get right to it. But the topics include Twitter, 
the claim that profits are justified by the risks investors take, the wave of strikes across Europe against inflation, the poor countries that are now in deepening economic trouble, the embargo against Cuba, and the collapse of the cryptocurrency economy. So let's get right to it, since we have a lot to do. The scandal around Twitter and its purchase by Elon Musk raises a number of important questions that are not getting the attention in the media, and that's why we're going to talk about it now. The first and the biggest problem is this. Twitter is a social institution. It's the way millions of people communicate with one another. All kinds of important information. As a social institution upon which our society relies, it is a very serious challenge to democracy if one individual is controlling it, deciding it, deciding what we can and cannot communicate. How, when, where, and at what expense. And when you realize that Mr. Musk has absolutely no particular qualifications to do any of that, having made money developing an electric automobile, mm. uh, you realize what a strange society we live in. Yeah. But in case you haven't thought about it, let me remind you, lots of inventions over time, made by particular individuals, came to be understood as social institutions and therefore taken over by society and run by governments or other kinds of social arrangements, but not left in the hands of private entrepreneurs. Schools. There's one. Schools were started, if you go back far enough, by individual private institutions. But we now have a basically public, free education system, at least through high school. Hospitals were once private institutions driven by the profit of those who ran them. But many, many are now public. Roads, bridges, harbors, trains, soldiers, police, garbage collection, postal systems, you get the picture? Twitter, Twitter is one of those. And it ought to be run by people collectively in communities and subject to governmental and community control. In other words, Twitter ought to be a publicly controlled utility, just like all those others are, and not run as a private profit. When you add that Mr. Musk clearly did not understand what he was getting into, having fired thousands of people, having threatened that he may go into bankruptcy when he had a charge of this quite powerful and successful institution, only makes it all worse. There should be no allowance for this. Give the people who develop Twitter some money if that's a reward for coming up with something useful, and then run it for the public, by the public, of the public, which we're supposed to stand for, but which Twitter is a mockery of doing. Okay. Number two, and it isn't all that different. On November 9th, the owner of 
Facebook, or in its new name, Meta, Mr. Zuckerberg laid off 11,000 workers. First of all, let's get that clear. One person figuring out what's profitable for his company wrecks the lives of not of 11,000 people. And not just the 11,000 who lose their jobs. But let's go through it. Their spouses, their children, the communities that depended upon them. What happens to all those people? What happens to their lives, to their kids in school, all the rest of it? Smash, chaos, no one cares, no one does anything. One man's decision. He's obviously made lots of mistakes in his life. Those are bad enough. This one costs 11,000 people their job, if it's a mistake, which it probably is. Wow. But I want to focus on a particular point. People like Mr. Zuckerberg are constantly telling us that the enormous wealth they accumulate based on the profits earned by their companies is somehow appropriately given to them. And why? Because they took a risk. Let's be very clear here. The capitalists tell us they take a risk and the profit is the reward to risk. If our capitalist also works in the company he invests in, well, then he gets a salary for that. Work gets you a wage or salary. Risk gets you profit. That's what they want us to believe. But it is, if you allow me, BS. Why? <laughs> because the workers take risks too, and no one pays them anything for it. The worker who goes to work at Meta or Facebook may have traveled enormous distance to take that job, moved his, her family across the country, moved his, her kids in and out of school, disrupting their lives, made a decision to take out a mortgage to own a home. Uh, they took enormous risks to work at a place that just fired them, 11,000 of them. They took a risk. And you know there's a difference. The risk a worker takes is that the people who run the business will make a mess of it, like Zuckerberg, and that they'll get fired. Whereas Mr. Zuckerberg, who takes a risk, is in charge of the business he's risking his money in. He has some control. The worker has none. And you know if the business goes bad, the employer, Zuckerberg, can ease the problem for himself by firing the worker. But the worker... For the risk he took, he can't fire the boss. That's what the word boss means. So here we have it. In capitalism, capitalists get rewarded with profits for taking a risk. Workers, they get paid for their labor. But what do they get for the risk they took? Nothing. Right. That's not a system that's fair or just. Yep. It's the opposite. Another last of the first half programs updates. In Greece and Belgium in recent weeks, but also in other countries as I'll go through, there have been massive union-led strikes. Let me stress, unions have decided to pull their members out by the tens to hundreds of thousands. Greece in the last couple of weeks 
has had its second of this year general strikes in which everything stops in that country. Belgium, not a country given to this sort of thing all that often, likewise. What is it about? They are very angry in those countries about two or three things. The most important, the inflation and their anger that the wage increases they're getting, if they get any, are systematically less than the inflation, which means if you're lucky enough and you fight hard enough to get any wage increase, maybe two, four, six percent, if you're really lucky, you're still falling behind because prices in Europe are now rising on average around 10 percent. Some countries more, some countries a little less. So the working class is being told, you're going to have less. You're going to be able to buy less goods and services because even if we give you the raise you're fighting for, we won't give you enough even to keep up with the prices that are rising. Unions are saying this violates their conditions of work and therefore they're not going to do the work. But you know, you may be surprised to hear the country where the most of this is going on. France has some, Spain has some, Germany has some. But the country where the strikes are really taking off by a coordinated labor union commitment is Great Britain. Yeah, the United Kingdom. The economy has been falling apart for a long time. The empire is gone. The queen died. The country separated from Brexit because it was told by the conservatives that if only you break away from Europe, your economic problems will be solved. That was a straight out lie meant to deflect the attention of the British working class from their problem, which is the capitalist class and the difficulties it has worked its way into with the empire it no longer has. So what's happened? Well, since the summertime, the strike wave has begun. In the summer and in the fall, the railway workers, they took the lead. There's a long tradition of miners and railway workers being union strong and striking. But now I want to read you some of the other strikes excuse me, that had been authorized in Britain by the unions. Nurses, 500,000 nurses across Britain going on strike. The National Health Service, where many of those workers and nurses work, but have many other kinds of workers, doctors, uh, technicians of all kinds, 350,000 voted to strike. 70,000 university teachers across Britain voted to strike. Airport workers, dock workers by the thousands. That's right. Labor militancy. Letting the government know you better do something about inflation, insufficiently rising wages, crunching down on the working class we're not going to take it. And the first way we're going to show it is by our words. 
And the second way we're going to show it is by our actions. We're not going to work. We're not going to do what we are not adequately paid for. And of course, the next steps will be political. We'll vote you right out of office, you conservatives. We'll give a bigger surprise to the conservatives than the Democrats gave to the Republicans in the just concluded midterm elections. But perhaps the most important point that I can make by telling you about unions and strikes and a real fight, a class struggle of the working class in Europe against the employer class that has made such a mess there. The real message is where are the unions here in the United States? Where is the AFL-CIO? Where are the leaders of the unions providing the leadership, the organization, the know-how, the experience to make and mobilize the people for social change, particularly against an inflation? That's the real question. We've come to the end of the first part of today's show, which, for those of you who may not know, is produced by Democracy at Work, celebrating 10 years of creating content like this, designed to challenge, analyze, and critique the economic system dominating our lives, that is, capitalism. For example, David Harvey's podcast, Anti-Capitalist Chronicles, which looks at capitalism through a Marxist lens. To find out more about his show and more, go to our website, democracyatwork.info. Sign up for our mailing list, follow us on social media, and please stay with us. We will be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's economic update. I want to begin with an update having to do with 54, count them, 54 of the world's poorest countries. They have come together loosely to present a picture that we really need to look at carefully. They have been affected, they explain, over the last 20 years, culminating right now in 2022 by the following events. Fundamental climate change in the world. And these are the poorest countries. They have the least developed infrastructure. They have been, in almost all cases, former colonies, badly neglected by the colonial masters in Europe and elsewhere that ran them before they became independent. So they weren't equipped to handle climate change. And what did it mean? It meant that in the last five years, they have been beset by unprecedented floods, storms, temperature aberration, droughts, you name it, they have suffered. The importance is not that they suffered it, because the whole world has, but they are being the 54 poorest countries have the least capability of coping, of responding of correcting, of offsetting, of protecting against the economic damage. Then they had the pandemic, COVID-19. And once again, 
they were the least able to cope when the infections reached their countries. And now on inflation, because the whole world has an inflation, or at least large parts of it do, and that impacts what can be afforded by these 54 countries, the poorest 54, and now rising interest rates. I want to stress the inflation and the rising interest rates, because if they're not whacked by one, they're whacked by the other. Even if they're not suffering from an inflation, for example, if they buy a lot of their materials that they import from China or Japan, those are two countries where inflation has been around 1% to 2%, so they're not affected by the inflation. But being poor countries, hit by climate change, pandemic, they, like every other country, had to borrow. But because they were poor, they had to borrow in a currency that the lender would accept. And that usually was the dollar. Mm -hmm. So they owe money in dollars. Yeah, but here's a problem. To get dollars, they have to have some way of doing that. And being 54 poor countries, that's what they can't do. And with their debts that have to be repaid in dollars, if the dollar interest rate rises, which is what the Federal Reserve has done six times this year, they're stuck with rising debts that there is no way to pay. One of those 54 has already literally collapsed as an economic entity. It used to be called Ceylon. It's now called Sri Lanka. It is a country that has no budget, can't function. Its debts are overwhelming. But it is only one of 54. Why am I telling you this? To make you sympathetic to those countries? Sure. But that's not the real reason. The real reason is I want to make sure we all understand how things came to be this way. And you won't be surprised by my answer. Capitalism. Mm -hmm. There's a system in the world that dominates everywhere. It's a system that organizes workplaces, factories, offices, and stores into the same particular form. A tiny group of people at the top, the owners, the board of directors, if it's a corporation, the major shareholders, things like that. Tiny groups of people who own and operate enterprises. That's how they've organized the whole world. The world is organized in terms of its workplaces that way. We may differ on religion and politics and a whole lot of other things, but that way of organizing, that capitalist way, employer-employee, is global. And that means it's fair and reasonable to say this system has produced a situation in which the poorest pe people, and we're talking billions in these 54 countries, of our fellow members of this globe, are suffering terribly and look to be suffering even more going down the road. This system doesn't work fairly. It doesn't help those who need it most. It doesn't arrange for transfers of wealth, 
not simply to offset the poverty, but to give these 54 poorest countries the means to develop themselves, to do what other countries have done. Instead of blaming them, often for things they have no control over, they don't set the interest rates, the Fed does. They didn't make global inflation. They didn't cause climate change. They didn't account for the pandemic. Why are we doing this to them? That's capitalism. And that's something we ought to think about. My next update has to do with another vote at the United Nations that I want to talk to you about. For the 30th year in a row, the United Nations General Assembly voted whether they were for or against all of the countries there. By the way, a total of 187 countries in the world today. They voted concerning the United States embargo against Cuba. By the way, embargo is the old word. Nowadays, we would call it sanctions regime or sanctions. It's it's United States did to Cuba for the last half century what it is now doing to China and Russia and Iran and so on. So this Cuban embargo came up to the, brought to the United Nations, which is an institution designed to help peace to avoid war, to make the world a safer and better place. And for the 30th year in a row, they voted. And typically the vote was just like this year's. Get ready. 185 to 2. 185 countries want the United States to end the embargo against Cuba. Two countries voted in against that, in favor of the embargo. One, which will come as no great surprise, is the United States, which is imposing the embargo. And the other one is Israel. I won't make any comment. None is needed. Okay. Why do I bring this up? Because the vote is lopsided, but it is every year because the rest of the world believes that this is an illegitimate, inappropriate, wrong policy? Yes, I think Americans tend not to want to know if the rest of the world disapproves of something the United States does, even though it's very important, and probably more so than ever before, that we become aware of what the world thinks about us. Because if it thinks that way about the embargo against Cuba, guess what you should not be surprised at? That a majority of the countries in in Europe, uh, excuse me, in the United Nations, wouldn't support the sanctions against Russia and China either. Partly because those kinds of sanctions often lead to war, and partly because they are not a way to build a peaceful uh, world. But let's be clear, the United States justifies the sanctions against Russia and China, well, not China, but against Russia, on the grounds that Russia invaded Ukraine. Okay, but that doesn't really make much sense, because 
Iran didn't invade anybody, and it's got sanctions. And Cuba didn't invade the United States or anybody else, and it's got sanctions. In fact, the sanctions against Cuba began right after the United States invaded Cuba, not the other way around. When that Bay of Pigs, it was called, the Bay of Pigs invasion by American-supported Cuban exiles took place in 1961, it was followed by this embargo. Neither of them achieved their objective, which was to weaken and overthrow the Castro government. Okay, well, if embargoes, sanctions, are done to weaken and overthrow a government in Cuba, um, maybe in Iran, maybe what's going on in Ukraine has really got less to do about the Russians invading Ukraine and a lot more to do about a program that hopes to weaken and overthrow Mr. Putin and so forth in Russia than anything else. And it would lead me and I hope thinking people everywhere to ask the honest question. Just as the UN wants to prevent war, military war, why wouldn't it include that now to have also economic warfare be just as outrageous? Most of the victims in military war are civilians bystanders. And you know, in economic warfare, it's even more that. It's not the leadership of the country. It's not the government. It's not the people who make the policy. It's the mass of people who are victimized. It maybe is time to be honest about these things and to go with the 185 who are against embargoes in Cuba probably against them everywhere else, and take the bold step of reducing the risk of war militarily by reducing the legitimacy of applying sanctions. My last update that I'll have time for, and a subtopic I'll come back to, is the collapse of crypto, the dramatic collapse of the entire system of trading cryptocurrencies, producing them, uh, all of it. Um, dramatic, it's in the headlines every day. Here's the point I would like to leave you with. The impulse behind crypto was a good one and remains a good one. That there ought to be money that we can use as money without the government manipulating and controlling that part of our lives. That impulse, if you like to call it libertarian, it's all right with me. That impulse is valuable. What went wrong with crypto was not that impulse. That was the good news. The bad news was, yeah, we allowed it again. The capitalist system, the idea that everything that we do in this society has to be profit-driven, has to make money for individuals and incentivizes them to cut corners, to do little shaky business, to get that extra profit, to beat the competitor, all of that. That's what ruined the cryptocurrency space as it has so many other of the productions of goods and services in our country. The problem isn't crypto. The problem is 
the profit motive. The crypto scam is likened correctly to the tulip bulb scam early in the 18th century. And you know what that marked? The beginning of capitalism. And capitalism has been scamming us with one profit-driven hustle after another throughout its history, which is why so many of us are critics. Thank you for your attention. As always, I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Okay, now that's a good thing to, that's the setting. I think Richard set the, the tone of what we need to work on. And we're gonna play something that's gonna be very, uh, very instrumental in being able to transmute what is necessary to transmute. And I will read this really quickly. <clears throat> this is called the song, the song of the new earth. And this is by our brother Tom Kenyon. Song of the New Earth features the transformative life journey of renowned sound healer, psychotherapist, and modern-day mystic Tom Kenyon, who went from being a young, aspiring Nashville musician to an internationally reversed sound alchemist. From giant caves in the south of France to the golden chandeliered symphony, symphony halls of Vienna, to the snowy mountain peaks of Tibet, the documentary presents Kenyon's quest to integrate modern science's advances in sound research with the ancient mystic traditions of Tibetan Buddhism, yoga, mystical Christianity, shamanism, Egyptian alchemy, and more. From Seattle, director Ward Cheryl, Song of Thea, New Earth, provides viewers with a distinctive and intimate portrait of one man's quest to not only heal ourselves, rather also ultimately our precious planet, Mother Earth. A transcendent, original, and healing experience, this unique film transports viewers through Kenyon's rare divine gift, his nearly 40 octave range voice. And I know that for those that don't have a way to look at it. It's on Gaia TV. Yeah, and if you've got your computer there, you can follow it. Yes. With what, with what, uh, is that Gaia TV, Song of the New Earth. All right. Again, uh, the director is Ward Surreal. Tom Kenyon is the feature, um, uh, guide and uh, the writers are Eric Frith, Sophie Jane Mortimer and Ward Cyril. So here we go. This is one hour and 28 minutes everybody.
the ancient traditions. They all speak to it, the mystery. In Genesis, in the beginning was the word, and the word said that there would be light. So before light, there was sound vibration or vibration itself. And in uh, the Vedic traditions and of ancient India, Brahma uttered the sound Om, and everything came into existence. The first movement of a particle, when it starts to vibrate, it creates a frequency, and it's a sound or a vibration. From the smallest subatomic particle to the largest galaxies, including our bodies, it began with sound.
believe that we emerge from the infinite into the finite. And it's different experiences for each of us as we make that transition. Research clearly shows that one of the first senses to emerge is the sense of hearing. When we're little fetuses developing, we're hearing the world through the liquid medium of our mother's womb. For me, I was a forceps delivery, so the first, my first experience of life in this planet was something grabbing my head and pulling me out. So I was in a kind of shock, and I think that shock extended past my birth to my early years, and I think this picture of me with Santa Claus captures the essence of my early experience in life. I mean, can't you just see him like, oh my God, where am I? I would say my earliest experience is swinging on a swing that my dad made for me uh, from a limb of an oak tree. And I would stay out there for hours singing. And I would sing to the sun and the sun would hear me and I would sing to the moon. I would love to stay up when, the, when it got dark and I would sing to the moon and the stars and I knew they could hear me. And so I lived in a world where I could sing to beings and celestial objects and they responded. When I was 12 years old, our family had a financial crisis, so we had to move into a, a teeny tiny efficiency apartment by the ocean in the winter because rents were really cheap. And there was a rec room underneath that had great acoustics. You could It would make like echoes, and I love echoes. And so I would go down there and sing and would travel on the sound. I didn't know what I was doing at 12 years old, but I would just be lost there for a long, long period of time. And one day the door opened and a man stepped in that I'd never seen before in the complex. And he said, I don't mean to startle you, but I came to tell you that you're going to heal many people in this world with that voice. And then he turned and left. I never saw him again. This is Sawatika and Sawatikap. They're bodhisattva figures. They're from our love of Thailand. And so they guard the passage with amusing compassion. And to Kuan Yin. Kuan Yin is the one who hears the suffering of the world. Sacred to the Taoist and also to the Buddhist. And then over here, we have the sacred frog. The king of the frogs. He's an amphibian, so he is uh, goes underwater into the depths of the unconscious, and he can also come to the surface. And we have the two frogs making out up on the hill, and then we have the creature of the woods. He's the guardian. He's like a druid figure, and this is one of my favorites, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Beautiful, beautiful being. And up here we have a figure that's hiding. This is Ganesh. He's the uh, son of Shivan Parvati. So it represents the part of us that can overcome obstacles. Our two gargoyles. This one uh, watches people who come in. This one is still sulking. He's just he's been that way since we got him, but we love him anyways. And then we got this for Halloween several years ago, and just left it up. And I kind of like it. It's just a reminder. compass of your heart, yes, and the boat of May, 
I, I didn't even know what samadhi was or what mudras were. And so I started to search for what the meaning was of that experience. I started researching and studying and discovered the mystic contemplatives of the Middle Ages. They were describing something of what I had experienced, but with, you know, not the complete picture, but one of the roots of that spiritual tradition is contemplative and is an inner journey. And that's what I became interested in. So I went to a Catholic college for two years because I thought that I was going to become a Trappist monk. And I was drawn to the Trappist because they're a silent order, which would be ironic if I had become a Trappist with a voice and I would become silent. I went to the Mass and I was uh, mesmerized and fell in love with the Mass, with the Latin and the incense and the gold and the, the pageantry, the stained glass. And then it just so happened that they did the Mass in English. And for the first time, I heard what they were actually saying. And I could not accept that reality because it was guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Mea copa, mea copa, mea maxima copa. I just couldn't accept that because when I went into these mystical experiences and I was with St. Teresa or I was with St. Francis or I was with Mary, I had a lot of experiences with Mary the mother. There was no shame and there was no guilt from any of them. It was a pure agape, pure love, without any condition. So I was having these mystical experiences that were typical of people in the 13th, 14th, 15th centuries. <laughs> and I'm living in a 20th century world. And that was a mismatch. So I, I left the church behind. And the quest was about understanding what mystical experiences were and bringing the human and the divine together. Can you bring them together? Sophia means wisdom. The Gnostics say that Sophia is actually the heroine and the protector of humanity. She's said to be the feminine uh, counterpart to, to God. Yes.
I continued my education at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro, minored in psychology, and I was taking a class on psychosis, um, which was this, which is basically the mental state where a person is seeing things that aren't there and hearing things that aren't there. But I remember it was a spring day and I'm on my way. I was on my way to this class and I had read the notes so I knew what it was talking about. And on either side of me are two angels, suddenly, out of the blue, complete with the friggin' wings. They're about nine feet tall, with white wings, brilliant white, emanating white light brilliantly. Now, I was aware that it was a mental impression, so it was not a true hallucination. In other words, I was aware that it was coming from somehow in my mind, but they, I experienced them as physically real outside of me. And so I became absolutely freaked out, like, I'm going to a class on psychosis and two angels are walking beside me. What if I walk in the class and nobody sees them? Or worse, what if I walk in the class and people do see them? How do I explain them? And what was really weird in that moment was I felt this immense love coming from them that was just like melting me. But my paranoia about who they were and what was this and what are they real was so big. I said, you guys have to go away. And they disappeared. I went into psychology, looking back at it, to discover if maybe I was crazy. And I found among my fellow students that many of us were in the psych department for that reason. I lived in an old dilapidated house that should have been condemned. I had a mattress on one corner of the of the room, and there was you know, half-written papers and books and laundry and food and dust balls and the whole thing of a student. And on the other side of the room, I had an altar and pictures of the saints of all the traditions I was exploring and a prayer rug, and it was pristine. And there was this tension between me as Tom, the person, and Tom, the aspiring yogi. And so really the quest was, how do you bring the two together? There were several incidences in my education at the university that were significant for me. One of them was the discovery that neurophysiology could be used as a language to explain mystical experiences. The whole time while I was going through my scientific training, I was going deeper into the mysticism of the East, yoga of India, Taoism of China, Egyptian alchemy, Tibetan Buddhism. I was practicing every meditation from every tradition. I would I would sometimes spend five hours a day meditating different practices. And so I was changing my neurophysiology and not realizing it. So I was had been doing kundalini practices along with everything else, and I, I just it was spring. It was, people were in the quadrangle throwing frisbees. There were four, there were high rise dorms, and I was sitting there just enjoying everything. And then all of a sudden, I hear this sound that goes right up my spine like a snake. And of course, in symbolism, Kundalini Shakti is uh, symbolized as a cobra, and that's because as the energy rises up the spine, when it hits the, the the brain, it spreads out like the hood of a cobra. And what it's doing is actually going through both hemispheres of the brain. And this Shakti, this immense electric charge, was going into my brain and just lit up all these centers. My experience was that the dorms became transparent. I could see through the walls and I could feel every emotion of all the thousand or so students that were in the area 
their hopes, their dreams, their fears, going into exams, all that stuff. And then I started, to, then I heard the sound again. And then the surge went up into my brain and I felt really hot, like burning up. It's called psychic fire in that tradition. And, but I didn't know what it was. And so I start to walk back to the dorm. And as I'm going back to the dorm, I, my friends are going to lunch and they're walking by me and say, come, come on with us, Tom. And I say, no, I can't. I'm going to go back and lie down. But what was weird was it was like my perception was they were in a, a different movie. I could see the movie, but I couldn't step into their movie. I was another movie. So I, I'm hot. I'm so hot. I want to go to the dorm and just get a cold shower. And then I'm getting so weak. It's like I have no energy to move. And I look and it's, I look to the right and that's where the student health center is. And my dorm is about another 500 yards away. And the student health center is right here. And I feel like I'm, I'm literally the life force is draining out of me. So I walk towards the health center and literally the energy leaves my arms and my hands and I have to crawl in on to, in the porch. I'm crawling in. I mean, this is really bizarre. I'm crawling into the health center and I sit in a chair and the nurse comes in and I show her my ID. She takes my temperature and she turns ashen white. I remember all I remember is her eyes got really wide and her color changed and she ran off. In comes the doctor. And the next thing I know, I'm in a private room and they're giving me, you know, Whatever medicine, I still to this day don't know what medicines they're giving me. Fortunately, I didn't say anything about a snake going up my spine or seeing through the walls of the dorms or any of that. What I presented was a fever. So they put me in a medical wing, not the psychological wing. And so the, I, for three days, I was delirious because what my understanding of what happened was that the Kundalini had gone into an area of my neurophysiology, subtle neurophysiology, the chakra system and the nadis, where there were impurities because I had not prepared myself properly. I pushed the river. And for three days, I was in a state of delirium and a high fever. And I remember this the images vividly to this day. There were two sets of them. One was I was on a raft floating on an ocean, a vast ocean with dark clouds with sea monsters trying to grab me off of the raft and pull me down into the depths. That's classic Jungian psychology, that the ocean is the unconscious, stirred and emotions and all of that. And this went on for three days. And then the other vision was I would be driving along a desert in, a, in my grandfather's Ford. <laughs> and I would see the sunset in the hub of the wheel, the steering wheel. And off in the distance was a little, like, um, an adobe in the desert. And I knew that in that house was somebody who knew the secret of the universe. And as I got closer, it would hop away. And I could never get to it. And then I came out of the delirium. And I was weak for about six weeks to regain my strength from a premature experience with Kundalini Shakti. So I became very respectful of this primordial power.
sound vibration speaks to our souls. It speaks to our bodies. It bypasses the cognitive mind. And when that happens, a door opens and people can go through that door and discover miracles and mysteries in themselves that they never imagined. So after my undergraduate degree, I went to California to study something called whole brain learning, which is a method for using music, sound and frequency to open up latent potentials of the brain. And so I had this body of knowledge about sound and how it could affect um, altered states of consciousness and, and psychological counseling and, and different psychological states. And the challenge for me was to bring those two together. And I discovered the work of Lazanov of Bulgaria, the Lazanov Institute. And he was documenting how music could increase alpha activity, which is a precursor to the lower uh, brain activity of theta. And this is the range of hypnotic states of consciousness. So as a therapist, I was fascinated and also being a musician. And there was a study done with premature babies and Brahms lullaby was played to a control group. And Brahms lullaby was not played to another group. And what happened with the Brahms babies was that they were released from the hospital on average of a week earlier, had fewer complications and thrived better than the other babies. And what it turns out to be is that the structure of the music of Brahms, these particular pieces, soothed the nervous system, increased alpha activity. And again, when you have an increase of alpha activity, there's a decrease of blood pressure, heart rate, respiration, stress hormones. And, and the sound, the music, the structure, the architecture, the timbre, the sound quality of the instruments, the rhythm, very importantly, and the melody soothed the brain and created this increase of alpha response. So the babies were having a, a, an opportunity for self-healing. And that's really what was occurring. So I formed Acoustic Brain Research in 1983 to scientifically look at how music and sound affect the brain. And this was a loose collection of researchers all over the country, uh, universities, independent labs, looking at sound patterns that I would compose and look at how it would affect the brain, mostly through EEG studies. So I started writing music for my clients to accelerate therapy and to reach deeper states of consciousness. Most of us have one part of the brain that's more dominant than the other in terms of filtering experience. And for some people, that's the left, and that's the logical sequential side. Then the other side of the, of the brain, the right hemisphere, is spatial intelligence. It's actually very happy with paradox, where, and it's comfortable where thing, two things that are opposite exist simultaneously. The left brain can't stand that. And the brain research shows that when you are experiencing pure sound without language, the right side of the brain lights up like a Christmas tree. And all types of phenomena occur in the right hemisphere that do not occur over here in the left hemisphere. So let's start with a sound meditation to bring us all to the same space. When your mind wanders, simply bring it back. Oh, oh, oh. 
Oh, no. 
Namaste. The ability to go into a mystical state of consciousness or receptive creative state of consciousness is a brain skill. It's like typing, learning to ride a bike. Anybody can learn it. Every human being has a capacity and every human being who has a voice has the capacity to use that voice to heal themselves and another person. Not even in something external like sound healing, but in how we speak to each other, the words we choose, the tonality that we choose. And we're creating the world by how we speak to each other. I had an encounter that was totally unexpected and out of the blue and uninvited with a, a group of beings called the Hathors. I'd worked in brain research for about 13 years before I encountered the Hathors. So I had some understanding of how sound and music affect the brain. That was my focus. And I, I thought some idea of what reality was and altered states of consciousness. That's the field that I worked in. And so then these beings showed up in a meditation retreat. I was doing a Siddhas Yoga retreat, silent, on my by myself, nobody else around. And so they said they came from another universe. And so my mind was like, this is insanity. So I was having these psychic experiences with the Heathers and hearing psychic communications. I see them as a mental impression. One is observing, and there's one that speaks. And he says, uh, we are the Hathors. And we come with love and the sounding of a new reality for your earth. Okay. Um, now, where are you from? We're from Venus. Great. Just fucking great. I'm talking to an imaginary beings who are from Venus. So I was convinced that this was a delusion. I do it all the time. I was time. a practicing psychotherapist in North Carolina. I had PhD supervisors and I had a, I had my niche. And so then I had to think of them, okay, they're archetypes. I went to my Jungian training. They're simply archetypes. So they're not real. They claim they're real, but they're not really real. You know, they're aspects of the mind. Creative, resourceful, yes, but not real. Thank you. I've got them in a box. I'm comfortable with it. So nobody knew about this part of my life. So I never peeped a word. And then they said, we'd like you to write a book. I said, yeah, right. I'm going to put my hard-earned credentials, my sacred letters that go after my name on a book 
about weirdos from another universe that live on Venus and came through Sirius to come in and help balance this universe for this time. Yeah, right. And they gave me some information about geometry in the brain. Information that I didn't know, but I recognize as significant because they were talking about the brain and the geometry of consciousness and relationship to sound and emotion. And I found all this stuff very intriguing and said, if I taught this to some people, I would observe rapid change, improvement in brain function and creativity. And I did test three beta test sites. And by God, that's exactly what happened. It was amazing. So I had to acknowledge this information, although I couldn't buy that it came from who they said they were, because it was too outside the box for me. But the information is valid. And then I was in California doing a workshop with the Hathors, and they were starting to tone. They were having me tone, and they would bring these sounds through. And that's what really opened up the sound work as it is now. that is coming to me in shamanism they call it being the hollow reed so what I do is to step out of the way and in terms of brain frequencies I, I would say I go into an alpha state and in that state of alpha I can attend to what I need to do vocally but for that moment I surrender my voice to the energy started working shamanically with drums then the whole shamanic world opened up and the animal spirits can come through my voice and shamans and uh, beings from other traditions sometimes I'll, I'll just look over here and I'll see 12 13 shamans all with their drums or there'll be 108 lamas when I'm in the Tibet tradition I feel like sometimes I'm like a doorway I just open the door or I'm a chauffeur and I look in the back seat to see who's you know who I'm driving at the moment
to people or maybe you don't say to people that think this is just nuts and you must I agree with them (laughs) and I live in two diametrically opposed worlds I I think of myself as a brain researcher and musician I look I'm logical in how I look at things so you know I'm fascinated with neurology and what goes on the brain and there's this other side that is I call it off the charts into woo-woo land and so um for me, a lot of this stuff is nuts. I never know when the whales are going to show up. But as I was doing the pure tones, I could he- I could see them approaching, psychically approaching, and they're humpbacks. And so all of a sudden, for me psychically, obviously I'm in my right hemisphere, an increase of activity. This is not normal. Consciousness. I'm in an altered state, but I see the whales coming, and then they enter my one of them enters my energy field, and I become very large. I become, for me, subjectively, as large as a whale, which is very interesting because I'm also aware of my physical body at the same time. So here I am doing the little bowl, and me as Tom, and there's this huge giant whale, you know, with flippers here on the stage, and I mean that's literally I have those two dual realities, and then the whale sounds come through me. You know, I'm actually a neo-pagan, Taoist, Tibetan Buddhist, agnostic, quantum physicist, mystic. <laughs> I'm rolled into some strange amalgam. When I turned 40, I was in an intellectual wrestling match with the Hathors. And they had essentially taken my view of reality and expanded it so far I was pissed. And I was not comfortable with what they said the nature of reality was and so I was challenging them and on the morning of my 40th birthday they said to me today is a very important day I'm we're going to take you through a major initiation and I said well you're going to have to take me to the mat I'm not going to participate with you I'm not going to do anything to allow you access I'm not going to even enter my inner domain I'm not even going to freaking meditate this morning and I didn't for the first time since I was 18 and so I went to this uh, park to late afternoon to watch the sunset as kind of my birthday celebration. And I was just killing time watching the sunset at Madrona Point. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice say, now it is time. And a hole opened up underneath me. And I started to fall into the earth. And it was so vivid, I grabbed the ground and the grass. But a part of me was falling down into this tunnel, down into the earth. And as I fell through, I the first one I encountered was an aborigine with a fire stick twirling it around like a circle. And I could hear the flames going. <laughs> and he looked at me with these dark black eyes and said, I have something to ask you when you return. And I said, return from what? And so I fall further down into this tunnel. And after some period of time, I encountered... Uh, something that totally violated my belief system, which were the rock people. And these rocks were speaking to me. They were like crystalline structures. And they said, we have something to ask you when you return. And I said, where am I going? They said, you'll find out. I'm pulled further down. 
and then I enter in what seems to be the center of the earth and there's this luminous egg-shaped form and as I encounter it it says to me I am the earth dreamer there were two more of us but they have gone on to sing new worlds into existence I'm about to change my dream and your earth as you know it is about to change will you sing the song of the new earth and I said well I'm not sure and as soon as I said that I was like teleported pulled up out of the tunnel back from the by the rock people and they said will you sing the song of the new earth will you sing the song of the new earth will you sing the song Will you sing the song? Will you sing the song of the new earth? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and then I'm with the Aborigine, and the fire stick is twirling, and the sound is still in my mind. <laughs> Are you willing to sing the song of the new earth? And I said, I'm not sure. I'm back on the surface. I'm, I come to, and I'm holding the grass with my hands. And um, so I say to the Hathors, you're going to have to do something that I can experience with my physical senses. Otherwise, I'm just going to think this is like a stress reaction and I'm losing my mind. And they said, no problem. And right then, this little golf ball-shaped uh, ball of light started spinning above the ground, about maybe two or three inches above the ground, and I was seeing it with my physical eyes. It was clear it was not coming from a mental impression. But with my physical eyes, I was seeing this ball of light spinning, and I was looking at that, and then I heard a rustle, and uh, behind me, and the sound that I'd never heard before, it was a cross between like a whale and a bird. And I looked, and I could see the, the bush moving, but I couldn't see what it was. But I could hear the sound physically, again, with my physical senses. And I got totally spooked and said, okay, that's good. That's good enough. Totally freaked me out. And so I said, so what exactly does it mean to sing the song of the new earth? And they said, well, it will mean that you will go around the earth many times singing sound patterns that come to you from the earth and from us to give to the earth. collectively with the energy of a large gathering. Each person will respond to the sounds in the ways that are unique to them. I'm from Amarillo, Texas. I've worked in oil fields, I've been a truck driver, I've been a farmer. Maintenance department in a hospital for 20 years. For most of my life I was in turmoil. He's opened doors I never even imagined. For me, because I was trained in a very scientific left-brain way, I didn't have uh, people who I could talk to about these things. As soon as I discovered this and came in and met these beautiful people and realized that I can actually go into this place within me, and that's where all the answers are. It was all bull for me, faraway stuff, total nonsense. I totally negated all this. 
And why could I do that? I had no idea of what it was. And then it happened that I sort of stumbled into these things. And in a way, it's like my earth went from flat to round. I think sound is the future of information. Sound opens consciousness. If consciousness is higher, the planet will change. are having a spiritual emergence and is having the housewives and generals and doctors and the all walks of life people are having suddenly they sense things that they never sensed before experiences of other beings other realms and they don't know what to do with it we don't as a culture have a place to put that it's just like in the box of crazy well this is not crazy it's one aspect of consciousness and if we look at it with objectivity we can actually extract things that are of value and then we change how we live in the world and i believe that we're in a place as a global consciousness as humanity that we are not going to survive much longer as a species if we don't change how we are living in our life and that's what my work is about so we are joined together for an extraordinary journey into the mystery of sound and consciousness and healing what we're going to do is um, a group experience with creating a sound that comes out of an emotion so let's everybody get just go inside and get in touch with the feeling of appreciation however that is for you and just breathe into it and just make a sound that matches how you feel inside that's all it is Something's happening with people that show up at these events. It reminds me of the early days when I was doing psychotherapy and I was amazed at the transformation and the beauty of the human being to step into the unknown. So we're going to go into a cave and it'll be a little spooky because there's very little light down there but the the being who resides there is in the darkness darkness is not evil the moon is as important as the sun and we're going into the darkness to commune with a knowledge and an intelligence that will sing through my voice and we'll see what it is i have no idea what will come forward yeah be careful slippery
So the being that I just uh, channeled was uh, enshrouded in darkness because he lives in the earth. He had a um, golden aura, and he is very, very ancient. And he is seeing many human civilizations come and go. And he was deeply saddened and dismayed by how humans treat the earth and the beings of the earth. And his message is that human beings must honor the earth or they will not survive. Early on, I started having impressions of mountains and the Himalayas and what I later recognized to be Tibet. And what I experienced in a very primal, direct way was that I was deeply connected to Tibet and to Padmasambhava, and who had brought Buddhism into Tibet in the seventh century, and also to Yeshe Shogyo, who was his uh, tantric uh, practitioner that joined him. I was already initiated into Buddhism and I had various relationships with other teachers. Yapsang was the most incredible encounter that I've had in Tibetan Buddhism. I've had some pretty extraordinary encounters. He was a peer. He was a guru in the sense of the true guru. Truest guru is the one that resides in each of us. But a true guru is someone who is a bridge between the worlds. And he can move back and forth between the worlds. And so I can go to him and ask him questions. And he refines various understandings I have from his perspective. extraordinary force I had no knowledge that nuns chanted the way they chant and so I remember going to the Gyansi nunnery which is very remote and hearing them sing and it was like this I was drunk I was drunk on the chants coming out of these nuns
And these are the ones of Beyonce. These are the these ones are Beyonce. Yeah, and certain ones that we've used like for the CD and stuff. Like you're familiar with yeah. this, for instance. Right. It hit me like a ton of bricks. In this world of imbalance, nobody had ever bothered to record the voices of the women. Nobody knew the nuns chanted. Because of that work that um, Judy envisioned and the CD was created and all the profits go back to the nuns, they were able to repair a wall that was a, a huge gap and expand the, the nunnery, make it much larger. They provided winter robes for all the nuns because uh, they were threadbare. And two nuns could be sent to medical school. And that came out of this vision of, that Judy had to empower the nuns. And it also it's a beautiful expression of the feminine because the feminine is about relationship. Well, the first time the feminine showed up for me as a reference point was uh, after my episode when I was 18 in my uncle's uh, pasture. I went into the Western mystical contemplative tradition very deeply. So I had these many numinous experiences with uh, Mary, mother of Jesus. So my personal journey was as I went deeper into mysticism, the Christian contemplative tradition, there was a place where there was kind of a dead end because it did not explain my experience that I had when I was 18, that mystical experience. So it took me into the East, and there I met these feminine archetypes, these goddesses in other traditions like Parvati, I'm sort of Shiva, and Sarasvati, and Lakshmi, and Kuan Yin, and all these goddesses. And I formed relationships with them through meditation. And my bhakti for these goddesses was so immense that when I was in their presence, I would be elevated. And then I look at women on the earth. And in India, still to this day, if the husband dies, sometimes the woman is supposed to, in certain castes, is supposed to jump onto the funeral pyre because she has no life left when the husband dies. And there are women that are given clitorectomies in Africa. So these horrendous things are taking place in this world against the feminine. So as I as I began to look at all this stuff, the political, social, the neurological, and the spiritual disempowerment of women, and my place as a man in the midst of all that, how do I come to terms with that? The pivotal point for me that pulled all of these different things together into one gestalt was when I met Judy Zion. I called and I sounded like somebody calling John Lennon. I, I didn't know he sang. I knew he was some sort of a teacher. And I called and I left a message and I said, I have an amazing friend and I need to find the most amazing present. And I, I'm wondering if, if you could be the Christmas present for my friend. And it hadn't been, and I hung up the phone and thought, oh my God, you fool. And Tom called back. So we went up to where Tom was living at the time. Hello, how are you? Fine and dandy. And he unzips this suitcase and brings out this crystal bowl. And I was like, huh, I wonder what that is. I wonder what he's going to do with that thing. And he started making sound. And I went to another dimension. That was the first time my consciousness, my brain state had been altered by sound.
just need to tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't do this. I said, you don't do what? He said, I don't see people in my home. I don't do private sessions. I was like, my first thought was, well, then why did you do this? And said that being me, why am I here? Why did you do this? He said, because the Hathers told me to. There's a place on Route 1 where the Nottoway River crosses Route 1. And that was a bridge, I'm told, that my birth father worked on. And that's where he met my mother. We were on our way to visit relatives. We lived in Norfolk, Virginia, and my grandmother and grandfather lived in Greensboro, North Carolina. So my mother and I and my brother were on the bus. So I was in the back seat, and I just remember this coming alongside a bus and just looking over. There was a little boy in the window. And I'm sitting by the big window, and I look down at a car. And our eyes locked, and the cars moved at what I call flying formation. It could have been for five seconds. It could have been for five minutes. It seemed forever. And so we're just hovering there, and I look down, and there's this girl who's about my age. And it was like, oh, hello. Deep in his eyes, there was something. I knew that little boy was going to play guitar, and I knew that little boy was going to sing. And then the car passes the bus. And so I happened to write about it when I was writing my story for the Magdalene Manuscript because it struck my heart at such a deep level. But what happened was that when Tom read my story, he said, wow, that same thing happened to me when I was a little boy. I said, yeah, but I know exactly where I was. I know where I was on what road. He said, so why? And we matched it up. (laughs) We thought, could this be? Although the Hathors are androgynous beings, meaning balanced between male and female, how they view our current situation is that it is time that the feminine nature has to rise up in balance to the masculine in its expression here on Earth. Earth is held symbolically as feminine. We even call it Mother Earth. So the feminine is degraded and is held in lower esteem in many of our spiritual traditions because we have such disregard for the earth itself and the feminine. So one of the myths in society is that here, everybody here, I don't sense any virgin births in this room. So all of us got here through sex. Our mother and father had coitus and there was a big bang. And our culture says that it was a mad rush of the sperm to get to the egg. And the first sperm to get to the egg was the winner. And that's a very patriarchal masculine view. But genetics is now discovering that it's not quite true. That the egg actually senses the approaching cord. (laughs) Sends out tentacles of information and scans them before they arrive. So it's kind of like and the cavalry is heading in. It's a race, and they've almost got it. And the first one there wins. Yay, yay, yay. Gets a trophy of life. The egg is over here. you know, And the guys are coming in a horde. She says, wait a minute, boys. 
Just hold that. Um, I'm not going to take you or you or you, not you, and God, definitely not you. You, come on over. And she opens the molecular door, just big enough for the little guy to get in. Come into the inner sanctum and let's merge. And from that moment, mitosis begins and here we are. So the wisdom of the egg doesn't just take the first comer, so to speak. I didn't plan that pun. It honestly just happened. (laughs) When you find treasures, you must pick them up unless there are strings attached. (laughs) So you got here as an expression of feminine intelligence. It was a cold, rainy night in Zurich, and Judy asked, would I see if I could bring forward Mary Magdalene? And this power came through that just throttled both of us. It was so amazing. I've, I've worked with a lot of beings and of different traditions, and this one was like, wow, I don't know what this is, but this is power and intelligence. to the male in a way differently than has been done in the past. Living in authenticity with each other in relationship. And speaking your truth no matter how difficult, no matter how embarrassing it is. And out of that cauldron, and it is a cauldron, it's like a furnace. Because when you speak your truth, things that are not true get burned away. And in that process, both are elevated, the male and the female.
I believe that we were all on our own paths. And the path of alchemy was an internal one that you did yourself, for yourself. And Magdalene basically took the blinders off and said, well, there's another way to look at this, which is that you can engage in relationship as a path. And the alchemy can be shared between two people that are uh, peers and travel together on this path to greater understanding and enlightenment. But fundamentally, at a deeper level, what her message is about is an urgent message, which is that if we are to survive, we must raise the feminine out of the ashes that we have created as a global culture for centuries and have the two meet together, male and female together, not one above the other, but in equality. And with that union, create a new world.
think the quest has actually ended as I think about it in this moment. So I feel that the war between the human and spiritual part of me has ended. I've unified the two. That war is done. It's not that the learning has ended, but the tension between the human and the spiritual has ended. And the final piece of that is realizing that the boy who sang to the world, he had a misunderstanding. And his misunderstanding was that he could resolve the suffering of others. All he really needs to do is be a witness because everyone is responsible for their own happiness. So as the boy who sang to the world has grown up and he's no longer singing the hopes and dreams of people into existence, he's singing a space that allows them to create that for themselves.
The lighting crew was exceptional this evening. Yes. We'd like to thank. <laughs> that was a wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful piece to listen on Christmas Eve. I think <laughs> we uh, we were uh, graced with this uh, piece uh, by Marita Robert. Many years ago, when mm-hmm. she had the uh, round table, she was the host of that, and we played it on that Thursday show, probably about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I can't be for sure what when it was, but it, here we are. I appreciated listening to it again. Yes. The sound frequencies raise everything up. If we're going to do this one, we better start it real fast, though, because it's okay. just the time. This is called Pleiadians and Time Travel in the Astral. And real quick, Sonia Grace returns to Gaia to discuss her experiences with the time travel, stepping out of her physical self into other times. Grace describes her encounters with the Hopi people of the American desert southwest and their vision of the creation of the fourth world and the fifth world, which we're in now, everybody. She describes the role of Pleiadians in building and harmonizing human civilization from beyond our planet. As we learn to understand the human story throughout time, we also understand our higher purpose to build a better world. Sonia Grace is the author and mystic healer whose previous interviews on Gaia include spiritual, spirit traveler, mystic healing, and the great minds documentary. Sonia Grace, ancient wisdom for the future. Let's get started. these mystic healing abilities? I've been able to see all levels of the astral plane since I was a little kid. Are you a time traveler as well? When I experience time travel, it is a total physical body experience. We have moved into the fifth dimension. So it's a much higher frequency. It's much more intense. And we as a species have never navigated this kind of energy before. Well, welcome to this edition of Beyond Belief. Sonia Grace with us, author, mystic healer, spirit traveler. She works with clients from around the world, but you do it in a different way, don't you? I do, George. It's so good to see you. You too. Um, I work on people long distance, but time and space is not the same for me as it is for most people. So if someone's in Australia, clear around the other side of the globe from me, I can still put myself in front of them and work on them as if they were right here in the room with me. How do you do that? You know, I always have the funny story, because I was a classical ballerina and danced professionally for years, that when you train and you learn how to do turns, you have to count, of course, your music. And I always joke that in the count of eight, how many Sinead turns can you get in that count of eight? And so you're literally learning 
through movement how to change time because you're arriving sooner or you're arriving later. So I basically, as a child and growing up in a dance career, I I learned a different way of moving through time and space. Were you born with these mystic healing abilities? <laughs> yes, I was. My my earliest memories are of my guide standing next to me, you know, having interaction with me. They're high angelic beings. Were you a little girl at the time? No, I was a baby. My earliest memory was two Mama? years old. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And I was working on our animals uh, on the farm that I lived on. Um, at That's five, where you got your practice. Huh? At five years old, I was trying to dissolve tumors on our dog. And did you succeed? Yeah, I did. Did you know what you were doing? No, I did not. No. And my childhood was really um, challenging because I was seeing everything. I could see just like I do today. See it, hear it, feel it, smell it, and weirdly taste things sometimes. And I, and I have this constant barrage of spiritual beings and ghosts and people coming through. And it was, it was tough. I mean, my childhood, thank God I grew up on a farm because then I had the earth and the grounding of being in that environment. You had a way to escape. Yes. Are you a time traveler as well? Absolutely. Tell us about that. What is time travel to you? Well, time travel to me is different than what most people in the spiritual community would understand. The understanding is astral projection, and that's not what happens right. to me. I go into a very deep state of meditation and George, I've been meditating and teaching meditation for 41 years now. So I have a, a completely different relationship to that experience. Well, were and you one when you started. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had an experience at one point, maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, where I went into meditation and my body started to dissolve like little grains of sand. Like and a teleportation device. No, right? it, it just dissolved. Like I, I became one with everything in the room. And it was at that point that my guides held their hand out to me. And I took their hand and we went up. And we went up and up That's and right. up all the way to the center of the universe. And you're doing this on a regular basis now? No, no. Um, I, I spirit travel when I'm asked by my guides to look at something or share information with people, I don't just go, okay, I'm going to go here today. You don't do that. Plus, but, I'm working so hard with clients. I have so, you know, I'm so busy. Could you do it at will if you wanted to? Um, if I ask my guides, would you take me to Stonehenge or wherever? Um, they will comply, but most of the time it's their suggestion of where they want me to be. What are some of the requirements for time travel that you must be able to do? Uh, George, honestly, I think that time travel and what happened to me was a result of years of practice and being in meditation. I don't think that it's something for everyone to be able to do. I'm grateful that I can do it, but there's a lot of danger out there too. And I've been to different places around the world in different time periods that I've looked at my guides and said, get me out of here, because it's scary. It is scary sometimes. Yes. On the Gaia program, Healing Matrix, Julia Mossbridge talks about one very important component to time travel. Yes, I think um, not only is it related, I think there's 
It's related in two ways that are really important. It's related in one way on the application side, which is if you're going to, let's say we invent actual physical time travel, that also includes mental time travel. So the whole shebang, like the science fiction version where you take yourself, your body and your memories and your personality somewhere else in time. Let's say we invent that. Yeah. So assume it's not impossible. In a world um, such as we live, in which we live today, in this world, doing that is going to cause all sorts of problems because it's an egoic world that's driven by um, a lot of fear and scarcity, et cetera. And so um, you could see the problems that would emerge. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you also have people understanding more and more around the world that there's this unconditional love and connection with oneself over time, Mm-hmm. That is the most powerful thing, more powerful than hate or anything else. Mm-hmm. If you have both of those understandings, then this time travel piece will be used for something that is will be beneficial to humanity, not just the person who's using it, right? And so that's an application side. But then there's a technical side, which is in terms of discovering physical time travel along with mental time travel and really operationalizing that in a, in a process that really works, I think you're actually going to need some insights from the consciousness side that says, yes, consciousness is actually this non-local primary thing, force, field, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And and there's something mathematically, scientifically, technically true about how that works that we don't quite know yet, that that's going to give us information about how to do the time travel. So I think in both the application and the technology, I think you need that connection. And how fascinating that unconditional love is the melding ingredient it's it's something that is required for the most uh effective and efficient use of time travel it's interesting because it is also the most important ingredient when someone is truly attempting to access higher levels of their own consciousness this uh, this quality of unconditional love it's a vibrational frequency that is uh, bridging the worlds so to speak you and julia make it sound easy to time travel Well, I wouldn't call it easy because I do experience the cold. I experience wind. I experience the elements. A lot of times before I go, I put a coat on because I know I I may be going someplace where it's really cold. And and when I come back, George, I think I've only been gone for maybe uh, 20, 30 minutes. And the clock is like four hours later. Hours later. So I have to be careful when I go. Because I work with clients all day long doing healing work, I can't take a you know a half an hour break because my guides want to take me somewhere. It's like I got to have time available. Do you ever in go this. into the past much? It, the past is mostly where I've time traveled to. I am not a, a person to readily run off into the future. Although a lot of people want to know about what's going to happen in the future, right? Sure. We all want to know. We all want to know. But when we look to the past, we can figure that out very easily. If you alter the past, and can you? No. You cannot? No. Can you just witness things that are happening, but you can't get involved? Correct. I'm just witnessing it. Could you alter it if you wanted to? No. I. Well, first of all, I wouldn't do that because that's not That's not. That's you. not my style. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Some people would. I know. I know. And it's, it's a dangerous... Um, landscape that we live in spiritually because there's good intentions there's bad intentions there's people who know what they're doing there's people who don't know what they're doing so 
you know, as the world goes through the centuries, that's always been the case. And I believe that what was said um, about having, you know, this incredible compassion and heart space is what allowed me in my meditation to experience dissolving into nothing. And once that happened, then it's continued to happen over the years. And I think I want to keep going back to a really deep meditation practice is what is going to help all of us to to get where we need to be. What is the third, fourth, and fifth worlds? What are they? Well, according to Hopi, and the Hopi Native American tra- Hopi yes, prophecy yeah, tradition. Yes, there's four worlds that we have lived in so far on this planet. Yes, okay. the first world started back when Earth was created. All right. Okay, there were people that were created in that first world by Grandmother Spider. She's called Kukyang So'o. Grandmother Spider. Grandmother Spider created the first people, and when those this is people like God. Well, no, the God, according to Hopi, is the Masao, and he was the only one that was on earth at the beginning. And he had a torch because there was no light. And Grandmother Spider was there. She created the twins, the two twins that hold up the earth so that they could keep the poles balanced. So that's world one. That's in the first world. Okay. So the people were created during that creation there were the Hopi gods, and through the sun lighting up, which is Dawa, the sun, there were rays of light that came, and on those rays of light were these beings, really tall, 14 feet tall, blonde hair, blue eyes. Giants? Pleiadians. Huh. Pleiadians are gods. They're not aliens. So the Pleiadians came during this first world, and they helped. They worked with the Hopi gods. So then the first world ended, there was fire, that's what took it to its to its final end. The second world was created, and that was even more, you know, like the people learned songs, and they stood up, and they started to right. dance, and there was an evolutionary process of the Hopi people. That ended in floods. Then the third world happened, and the third world was even more advanced. And this was a time where the people started to bring in not only the ceremonies, but put all of it together. Did something dramatic happen during the third world? The third world ended when the comets hit the Earth. 12,800 B.C., Atlantis, Lemuria, Otslin. Wiped out everything. All of them fell. Correct. What is the significance of what is called the kivas for the Hopis and Pueblo people? The kivas are the round chambers that are built underground. They're all over Chaco Canyon, the the four corners. There's kivas in ancient ruined what sites. What are their purposes? They're for um, the people to practice, to pray, and to um, do ceremony in. Were they very spiritual, these people? Very spiritual. Very connected. In fact, the ancient people, I was really thinking about this when I made the, the film, Hisaksinom. The the people were so connected to the earth. They were so present, George. They didn't have a phone in their hand. They didn't have a television running. They were so present. And so anything that they experienced was like right there. It was immediate. They had their act together, didn't yes. they? Yes. What is the Great Migration? 
Well, the Great Migration had to do with the end of the Third World, ah, right? Okay. There were floods. Some people went underground. The ant people, the Savarok, took them underground. Some people went up. The Pleiadians took some people up. And some people migrated north, south, east, west in all directions. In your film, Spirit Traveler, you talk about the ancient people of the southwest and the stories of their great migration. Stories of migration are an intricate part of Pueblo cultures. When the Third World ended, great civilizations like Atlantis and Lemuria fell. The area known as Atzlan, now marked on the map as Cancun, Mexico, was the hub of indigenous people from all over North and South America. Some of the ancient people migrated before the comets hit the Earth in 12,800 B.C., and started the long trek north and south. Some were washed away in the Great Flood, and some were taken underground. The emergence from the Sipapu in the Grand Canyon was the indication that the fourth world was beginning. When it was safe to emerge, the people climbed out of the Sipapu into the Grand Canyon. The direction of where people migrated was according to the clans. Each clan was reliant on signs that led them to their destination. Pictographs of bear paws, birds, and other clan deities cover the migration trail. It was the highly initiated men who carved the stories into the walls of the canyon. In essence, the migration of the fourth world looks like a basket with trails woven throughout the southwest. What is recorded in pictographs and petroglyphs is reflecting the times of what was important to the people. Depictions of gods and spiritual deities, spirals, plans, and migration patterns are found throughout the Southwest. Handprints that cover the walls show how many people are living there, marking initiations and rites of passage. And is there a fifth world? Yes. And what is that? Well, that's where we're headed. We're not so there yet. We're not there yet, no. And this is why in the spiritual community, so many people are rushing to kind of get their spiritual groove on because everybody feels it. I don't care what religion or what spiritual practice you're in. Everybody is feeling this. We've got people buying property all over the world, crazy, you know, traveling, moving. There's all kinds of changes that people internally feel. And it's because we're coming to the end of this phase of humanity. Is that a good thing? Well, yeah, of course, of course. Um, this isn't about, oh, no, it's all coming to an end and we're all have to be scared. So this is not end this times is, prophecy. No, no, no. This is about transition and evolution of our species. So when the fourth world ends, yeah, there might be some earth events that mark that time. There could be. But the fifth world will begin. And, you know, our children, our grandchildren, they're the ones that will herald the next phase of humanity. Will there be a sixth world? I believe there will. I, I, I really on. believe, George, that we are so multidimensional that we have all these different dimensions that we're experiencing. Timelines, my God, timelines have literally almost disintegrated the boundaries between them. And I'm watching people experience things from different times and different time periods and they, they don't understand what's happening. And it's because we have moved into the fifth dimension. So it's a much higher frequency. It's much more intense. 
And we as a species have never navigated this kind of energy before. Sonia, how did the ancients know this? How did they get this knowledge? They were not blocked and confused by all of the things that we have blocking and confusing us right now. Okay, if you just look at it on an electromagnetic level, well, you know, we've got 5G going, we've got all kinds of weird energies coming in. We've got phones in our hands. We have all of this technology that's fantastic, but it is taking people offline. They're not listening to their inner truth, their inner voice. Okay. Well, what was your motivation behind spirit travel? Well, I wanted to show people the natural world. I wanted to connect people back to what the Hopi people knew and what they still know today. And I wanted to show people how these ancient sites can connect us to what's going to happen in the future. Who were the ant people in Hopi prophecy? The ant people were the ones who helped the people underground They created tunnels all over the world and took the people into safety. Are they there now? Yeah, absolutely. How big is the civilization? There, well, there's quite a few, but they live way underground. In caverns? Yeah, caverns, tunnels. What do they do for light? Um, they have lamps. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) They might. They might. No, there is a source of light that comes in. And these beings have been here on Earth since the beginning of Earth. They came from the same part of the universe as the Hopi gods, as the Egyptian gods. It's very interesting. They, they're dialed into all of it. How far advanced were they then compared to us today? I mean, they didn't have computers, as you said. They didn't have that kind of technology, but they had something else, didn't they? They did. I believe through their spiritual practice and what they connected to, they were much more advanced, but they didn't take it where we've taken it through technology. They took it into their actual spiritual practice. Where did aliens fit in with us? Yeah, aliens. Are they <laughs> they've, out there? They've been a part of our human development since, you know, 20 million years ago when our species arrived. Yeah. So, yes, there is an amazing connection to alien influence and where humans are at today. In my film, I do talk about the alien influence. Did they interact much with the ancients? Yes, they did. You know, George, there's a story that I was told about Hopi where a long time ago, and I'm going to say like in the 1800s, there were stories passed through the families of aliens and I'm talking probably greys or small greys walking with people in the villages holding their hands. They're comfortable. There's all kinds of stories like that. Yeah, yeah. Where were their craft? Well, there's canyons there and there's reports of, of the crafts landing in these canyons. Even my dad out there saw a, a round spaceship like a flying saucer sure. with a globe on top And it was right at the end of the road and him and a friend, they were about 10 and 12 years old, laid on top of the ridge watching this thing. And then they got really scared and they ran home. Does Sedona possess some kind of magical or mystical feeling? Sedona is like 
any land on any reservation, there are things that live there. There are energies that live there. And some of these things we're not supposed to tamper with. We're not supposed to go near them. It's taboo. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah, because out at Hopi, I mean, we don't go to Sedona to find these things. We respect them and leave them alone because they're very powerful. So you've got a lot of the spiritual community searching and wanting to go find these energies. But, you know, like in any part of the world, you can also run into some danger doing that. Absolutely. How did you get interested in this one? It's um, not a feel that you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to become a mystic healer <laughs> or I'm going to do this. How, how did this happen? Well, you know, I had my experiences through childhood, right? Seeing all the ghosts and spiritual beings and angels and demigods coming into my my house. But as a dancer, I kept finding myself going between those two worlds. I'd be ready to go out on stage and there would be, you know, some ghost of that theater standing there. I and I'm like, you do a little dance for us. Yeah. Right. You could do no. it. <laughs> no, but, but there's such a, a, a time where you, you reach a point that you can't deny it any longer. And that's what happened to me. I could not deny the gifts that I had and I had to do something about it, or I, I believe I would not be here. How extensive have you searched out and traveled in these areas? Um, I've gone all the way out into the universe. I've, you know, really? yeah, I've spirit traveled to um, some different places. Like through remote viewing? No, actually through time travel. I've been taken physically, physically by my guides. It's and dramatic. remember, George, when I experienced time travel, it is a total physical body experience. It's not my mind or, you know, astral projecting. How do you get into that mode? Um, I go into meditation. I go into a very deep meditation. I do my grounding meditation and then my body starts to dissolve. Is it astral projection? No, it's not. And then my guides hold their hands out and they take me. And when I go, it is my etheric body, my soul body that's going with them. Out-of-body experiences and astral projections are somewhat different. They talk about it on Gaia's program, Microdose. Mm -hmm. Another experiment by Janet Lee Mitchell and Carlos Osis studied clairvoyant Ingo Swan and revealed that he correctly identified eight out of eight target observations while out-of-body. The probability of this occurring by chance was 1 in 40,000. In the general population, about 1 in 10 people have claimed to have an out-of-body experience at one point in their lives. This experience of leaving the body is called an out-of-body experience, or OBE, which is sometimes described as a separation of one's astral form from their physical body. This experience is commonly referred to as astral projection. Once I'm out of my body, there's no such thing as time or space. So we can jump through timelines, we can jump through dimensions, and there's many different levels of experience in those realms. But besides having an experience where you can fly anywhere or any time you want, what are some of the other benefits you can get from this practice? According to a survey, 86% of 399 out-of-body participants had a greater awareness of reality. 
your whole reality changes, your perception of reality changes. Your what's important to you changes mm -hmm. and your emphasis in through life changes. Mm -hmm. Your trajectory in life changes because you're no longer obsessed with the acquisition of things. Out of body experiences, as mystical as they might seem, have scientific evidence to suggest that they might be very real. There are many claimed benefits of the practice, but what seems to be universal across all astral travel is learning more about your personal human experience and the world that we live in and beyond. The old concepts of body, mind, spirit are primitive and inaccurate. We are multi-dimensional beings. We exist on many different dimensions. And when you have an out-of-body experience, you're shifting your consciousness into an energy body that is already an aspect of us, of all of us. Astral travel is a tool to awaken ourselves so fully that we develop deeper connection to our multidimensionality. We learn about ourselves and our purpose, and we can take what we learn from it and then put it into service in this world. What is the real difference between astral projection and time travel? Well, as we saw in the clip, astral travel or astral projection is a way to explore the universe and explore different things. I always urge caution to people because there's things out there that you don't want to run into, aliens, entities, all of it exists in the astral plane. It is a, a very common use of astral projecting. In time travel, I experience a whole body kind of gone experience where my body is just a shell and my soul is what leaves and goes to those places. That's even more dangerous. And of course, I don't go without a whole lot of protection with my guides. What if you can't get back? I'm going to try to call you. Long distance. <laughs> George, come and get me. Is that, no, is that conceivable? I mean, that you time travel and that's you can't why, get back? That's why I'm so careful about so doing it this. could happen. And that's why I don't, you know, promote that everybody learn how to astral project because even though it's a great tool, they may not be ready. They may not be ready. And that's a really big point. When I time travel, I'm like I said to you, I'm very careful. I only go where my guides take me and I am um, protected. I'm protected. Is there a difference between aliens, demigods, angels? Yes, there's a, there is a difference. So in the astral plane, that space that exists between us here and heaven, the spirit realm. There's everything exists from angels and demigods, which are the closest to God. And then on down the line, you have aliens, you have entities, you have demons, you know, smarmy, creepy things. Sure. So you have everything that exists. And I've been able to see all levels of the astral plane since I was a little kid you know, born with that ability. So my experience now is when I work, and it's been this since I started working as a healer, I only work with angels. I work and talk with the demigods, but I don't interact with entities or aliens or that kind of thing because their oh, vibration no. is not conducive to help me in helping people to heal. Are they evil? No, so I think aliens are like humans in that they have an agenda. They come here for water. They come here for natural resources. Metal they come rules. here for 
for for tissue sample because they want to you know repopulate their species by making um you know some kind of hybrid so they've got an agenda we have an agenda humans are famous for having an agenda right and and i think that um communicating with aliens is very tricky because they want something from humans and are you prepared to give that up not at all no i have very clear boundaries me and aliens uh uh-uh. uh no there's a boundary <laughs> you're over there i'm here yeah where, where do you live these days in arizona on a reservation i'm right we're just a couple hours from the reservation why are you there well i'm married to a hopi man oh are and, you yeah and sean and our our families are on the reservation Does so we're closer does he still practice the hopi tradition yes he does and i think that's a great point you know george so many people who saw dances with wolves believed that native americans ended when that movie was over right and that's right. not true native people are alive and well and the ceremonies people. are going on and everybody still practices their their traditions and i i wanted people to to really hear that because i feel that a lot of times their cultures and their practices are um disregarded and you know they're they're not gone they're here are they believers the hopis in extraterrestrial life very much very much UFOs, so those things like that happen do you see things out there absolutely there's these plasma balls these light balls Orbs. that yeah that have been seen i get videos sent to me all the time from friends of mine out there and these they're they flicker and then they move in really erratic uh kind of movement and there's groupings of them there's big ones small ones they're incredible what's so magical about the reservations they're happening more and more why well because i believe that in hopi prophecy as they say there will be a fair-haired man white man coming from the east carrying a tablet that is a part of their prophecy like moses right and a lot of people have interpreted that uh prophecy as being a white guy coming from the east with a tablet but it's not sounds like it it's not it's it's the pleiadians they are going to be the ones to come back and they are very much a part of hopi culture why are they so important because they help develop all these different societies around the world they help develop to wanaku stonehenge uh they've been a part of hopi culture they've been a part of so many different cultures so they're friendly the pleiadians are demigods they have come to help humans over and over again what do they look like son they're tall they're like 14 feet high uh blonde white hair blue blue eyes very fair skin how big are their craft if they're 14 feet high i don't think um all aliens travel in the way of craft I think many times they're able to use gateways in Tuwanaku um you know there there is a gateway to the sun and the the Pleiadians showed me how they came and traveled through that gateway to the people so that wasn't by craft that was through you know a wormhole some kind of energy line dimensional shift sure. or something like that sure. have you learned much from the Pleiadians I have They've really told me on all of my spirit travels that I've run into them and had a chance to talk with them how they developed a place, why they developed it, 
the ceremonies that they taught the people. There's so much that they have given to the human race and they want no credit. They're, they're not, um, here to somehow, you know, brag about what they've done. They're very, um, they help us and then they go. What extraterrestrial species, maybe it is the Pleiadians that still play an important role for us. Is it just them? It's the Pleiadians. There's a lot of extraterrestrials that are um, wanting to take over. You know, the reptilians are always trying to take over. Um, the, The greys, they've come in many times and tried various ways to step in. There's new aliens, new groups coming in all the time. And they're trying to influence humans to do their agenda. Interesting. Now, on Gaia's initiation show, Matthias de Stefano talks about humanity's guiding forces. So the purpose of Pleiadian people is like being those high masters and guides in the matter that tells us why we are here and what we can do to improve ourselves, what we can do to enlight ourselves to understand reality, how we can transform matter and time in every reality that we have created. So they are the guides of the spiritual world in the material worlds. And the Arturian people are the ones taking care of the matter, of the structures. They are like the doctors and the the scientists of the galaxy. They were the ones trying to bring all these enlightened concepts of spiral and understanding this, the, the importance of these spiritual patterns into the physical ones and put them all together. So they discover how spirituality moves through DNA, through evolution, and they evolve in their own planets trying to take much power as possible from the spiritual world through the physical bodies. So both of them are kind of the same, looking in different perspectives. The Pleiadians has the goal to bring heaven on earth, and the Arturians has the goal to bring that earth to heaven. But it's not a goal that they want to leave the, the material world, but they want to create a physical world that is exactly the same as the ethereal one. So improving this reality, improving the matter in order to create civilizations and create beings aligned with the light that is within the structures of the three-dimensional realities. Well, he echoes, Sonia, many of the things you've said on this Mm -hmm. program today. Yes. And, and the, the influence that humans have had throughout time, whether it's the Pleiadians or other demigods is, is immense. It's immense. And if we look to the past and we look at the gods that the people worshiped just in one culture, there's little figurines, deities, all these things. It, it, it reveals to us the massive amount of influence that people have had. If you could wave a magic wand over this world we're in now, what would you try to fix? I would want to instill in people that even though we're here in this fourth world and we're watching 
the end of this phase of humanity happen, I would want to instill in people the very image that's on those rocks, those ancient sites that I visited, which is the spiral. The spiral is about eternity. Mm -hmm. It's our journey as we walk that spiral to God. And it's so important that we have hope. If we lose our hope because we're feeling like, oh, you know, my representatives aren't doing their job or, you know, the gas prices are too high or some, you know, hopelessness that people can get, then we're going to have a hard time. We must keep our energy up and we must keep our energy filled with hope because that's what keeps our species going. And that's what keeps us connected as we walk that spiral. So as you look down the tunnel of light, Mm -hmm. is it hopeful for us for the future? Yes, it's very hopeful. We're going to have some trials. We're going to have some times that will be tough and it will bring us all closer together, which is what's happened over history, right? Absolutely. We've seen it over and over. If we could just look to the past, we will learn about how to manage and help ourselves in the future. And you're into technology too. Don't you have a new app out? I do. My my app is called Spirit Traveler. What does it do? It's it's taking people into the pyramid and inside the pyramid they're discovering literally. literally it's totally 3D. That's they're discovering the physical, mental, emotional and spiritual bodies and they can access and learn about what is their liver, what is their pancreas? What is the soul body? What is the amygdala in the brain? There's meditations. There's all kinds of things. It's wonderful. What is next for you, Sonia? Well, I'll be out there working day in and day out with all my clients and helping people. You love humanity. I do. I do. And I love you, George. Sonia, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you so much. I really love being here with you. You've touched a lot of lives over the years, and she'll continue to touch lives because she is a mystic healer. I'm George Norrie. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Okay, we squeezed it in. A few minutes over time. But take a little break, everyone. Magic's ter- truly afoot. Uh, very interesting uh, weaving of what we've heard today so far. Yeah, see. <laughs> So we'll see you in just a short while. And we'll be back with a look at the stars with our brother Richard and Kay Pacha and Tanya Gabrielle. And uh, music, everyone. Namaste for now. Namaste. Pastor Doggy Dick, you, Richard. Okay, here I am. There <laughs> you are, Commander. Yeah, not frozen yet. Oh, good. Yeah, I think the high today was probably about 18 or so. But it was sunny. Yeah. So uh, I put on my my down jacket and I went out and got more firewood. All right, uh, the sun is at 4 degrees Capricorn. And Venus is at 
18, is that right? Print is small. Come on, computer. All right, Venus is at 19 Capricorn, Mercury is at 23 Capricorn. And those are Trine Virgo and Trine Taurus. All right, Pluto is uh, at 28 Capricorn. Neptune at 23 Pisces and Jupiter at 1 Aries. Uranus is still retrograde at 16 in Taurus. Mars is backed up to the 11th degree of Gemini. And the moon tonight, day and a half after the new moon, is at 27 Capricorn. So the moon is conjunct Pluto. And we got the, the nice the nice configuration is Venus and Mercury sextile Neptune and Jupiter and trine Uranus. The uh, continuing problem is uh, Saturn at 22 Aquarius. Square that Uranus over there at 16. And today's problem, this weekend's problem, is Sun Square Jupiter. So that uh, that's two very powerful connections, and they're not in an easy configuration because, you know, you're standing in the center of your chart and your left hand is on Jupiter, your right hand is on the sun. And the midpoint of that is Saturn. Uh-huh. So those two great lights, the big great lights of Jupiter and the sun, are uh, having to deal with that Saturn and Pluto. So it's not fun. Mercury retrograde, 11 degrees Gemini. Opposite Taurus. All right. That's it for the for the layout. And my other comment here at the beginning is that uh, that last lady that George Norrie interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. My problem is in terminology. Yeah. Because they use different words to mean different things, and it's not always clear. What she's, what this lady was actually trying to describe, what she was experiencing. Yeah. 
so um, I, I found that a little distracting. And also, I'm, I'm naturally suspicious, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. So uh, I, wonder, I wonder what that fellow uh, Kaipacha was thinking about. He's down there in Costa Rica where it's summertime, or late fall anyway. Yeah, it's pretty nice down there. We spent a whole year down there. He's kind of close to the equator, isn't he? Um, just a lot closer than we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got to go yeah, down. It's been about, I checked my memory, it's been about 15 years since I saw zero degrees on the thermometer. Yeah. Yeah. All right, then. A couple of days ago, it was six below zero in Chicago, but the windshield made it to go down to 31 below zero. I don't know what the windshield was because all I did was Open the door, grab some firewood, and scoot right back in the house. And put that firewood on the fire. That's right. Okay, well. This is about 26 minutes, Richard. All right. Take it away. We'll find out what Kipacha thinks. Hopefully. you with the weekly Pele report. Happy solstice. Winter solstice in the northern hemisphere and summer solstice in the southern. Longest night in the north. Longest day in the south. Big turning point. Big turning point. And not only that, but by Friday, we have a new moon. So... It's another turning point, right, from the balsamic ending to a new beginning. And then we got the new year coming. It's like new, 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 Jupiter and Aries, new, new, new. Actually, that new moon is going to be square Jupiter, right? It's at 1 degree 33 minutes of Capricorn. And Jupiter is right there at 0 degrees of uh, Aries still. So, wow. Yeah, Sun, Moon, Square, Jupiter. I will be talking about that. And, of course, the Sun moves from Sag into Capricorn. That's why they call it, uh, you know, that is the turning point, the solstice. Yeah. So, in the meantime, so then we're going to have the Sun in Capricorn, Venus in Capricorn, Mercury in Capricorn, Pluto in Capricorn. It's a goat party. <laughs> oh my God! And Venus trines Uranus. Uranus is over there in Taurus, another Earth sign. So we got a lot of Earth going on here. Earth and fire, right? Jupiter, Chiron, and Aries, some fire. And I mean, 
So the other thing is that Chiron, speaking of Chiron, Chiron is stationing now and going direct on Friday. So that's our big time. So we've got, you know, uh, Venus, Mercury, Pluto, Sun, and Capricorn joined by the Moon. Uh, and by Saturday, the Moon goes into Aquarius. Yeah. And on Christmas Day, we have the Moon in trine to Mars and square Uranus and sextile Chiron. By Monday, uh, she uh, joins together with Saturn, okay, and then moves into Pisces by Tuesday. So I want to be talking about that. I want to be talking a little bit more about Mars still retrograding and Mercury. It's a little early, but Mercury is going to be going uh, retrograde uh, a week from tomorrow, a week from Thursday. So I think I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. Let me just look at the camera and yeah. All right. I got too much bad press on that microphone, man. So I'm going for it and I hope everything is fine <laughs> as usual. Oh my goodness. Yeah, there's so much to talk about here. I'm, I'm preparing for my talk. Number one, mark the date. I changed it, uh, but I, I'm, I changed the date. I'm doing the truth about 2023 and what to do about it. And this is a talk where, you know, it's going to be uncensored. I'm going to be putting it on my website. Um, and it is December 30th. December 30th, it's going to be 10 o'clock Pacific time, 1 o'clock East Coast time. Yeah, like dinner time over there in the European Union. So I'm looking at the year ahead, and then I've got this lunar planner I need to write today. So I'm looking at the month ahead, and and then I have this report, which is just a, a weekly report, but, you know, I can't keep all that other stuff out of my head, <laughs> you know, uh, particularly with uh, this Sabian symbol for the new moon. It's a little disturbing because uh, it's uh, these Sabian symbols are normally very inspiring, uh, very positive, uh, very hopeful. And uh, this one is not so much that way. Yeah. Let me read it to you. Uh, this is the uh, second degree of Capricorn. Three rose windows. Rose. Like the rose cross, the Rosicrucians. Uh, it has to do with the heart. It has to do with love. Yes. Three rose windows in a Gothic church. One damaged by war. Very, very, very few Sabian symbols mention war. And this is setting the tone for this month. 
through Christmas, through New Year's, right into, you know, the, the next new moon in Aquarius. Yeah? The keynote is the, the necessary realization by any individual making a violent use of collective power that it will lead to the inevitable destruction of some of the values ensuring group integration. It seems obvious that the interpretation of this symbol should refer to the disruptive consequences of war. The chief who claimed power from his tribe in order to lead or save it must reckon with the consequences of a too impulsive use of this power in terms of violence. The integration he seeks to maintain or enhance may be partially destroyed if in his ambition he yearns to be the victorious war leader glorified by his people. A rose window is not absolutely essential to a cathedral, yet it symbolizes that through which the light of the spirit these are quotation marks. <laughs> These are not bunny rabbit ears, all right? This is a quotation. <laughs> the light of the Spirit enters into the edifice. Mankind's soul is said to be threefold. Which part of our inner trinity of principles tends to be destroyed by the use of violence? Evidently, the principle of love and compassion. Now, this is the Sabian symbol setting the overtone for this new moon, this lunar cycle, sowing the seed in the sign of Capricorn, external authority, governments, authority figures, generals, warlords, yeah, government institutions. We have this huge Capricorn, you know, stellium going on here with Mercury and Venus approaching Pluto and the moon actually coming into a conjunction with Pluto in a couple of days. And then we have this, you know, this energy. This energy is not only about this new moon, but what? And what I really wanted to bring forward today, the square to Jupiter in Aries. I spoke about last week, Jupiter entering Aries. Assert, charge, go, initiate. The square to the sun and the moon. The square can indicate too much. Too much expansion, too much assertion, turning into aggression. So this can actually be, you know, too much, too fast. I mean, it, it, and it even says 
you know, if in his ambition he yearns to be the victorious war leader glorified by his people, you know, Jupiter in Aries, you know, I am Marcus Aurelius or Caesar or Napoleon or, you know, the winner, Patton or whoever, I mean, we got so many victorious war leaders. Let's hope it's not Putin or Zelensky. I mean, this is this does not bode well in my mind for like, you know, what is going on on the world stage right now over in the Ukraine. It's it's a it's a sad situation, it's a bad situation. And while Jupiter you know Jupiter is very interesting because it basically expands anything and everything. It's more. And it can be more good or more bad or more right or more wrong. And, you know, you know, within the next few months, it's coming up to conjunct with Chiron, the wounded healer. And I've spoken of this Chiron in Aries healing the wound of the wounded masculine, which is a distorted, suppressed, perverted expression that is macho, that is patriarchal, that is conquering, that is competitive, that is dominating, that is taking and, and is aggressive, rather than protective, the guard at the gate, keeping things safe, and pioneering new ways, new ideas, new inventions to improve the situation on planet Earth and to protect Mother Nature and the innocent, yeah? So, what Chiron is, is a healing crisis. And when Jupiter comes around, it's a big healing crisis. So over these next five months, Jupiter whips through Aries by May. You know, we're going to have... We can, we can have, you know, a, a type of a healing crisis before he goes into Taurus to join with the North Node of the Moon. And anyway, I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I just want to say that the danger at this particular time is to jump along head first, too fast, impulsively overstepping our boundaries, following this, this gut without the elder, without... I mean, it's the, the, the good thing is to have some of this Capricorn, which is patience, perseverance, objectivity, self-discipline, and self-control. It's a very interesting square between Capricorn and Aries, right? Aries just wants to charge that Jupiter wants to charge and all this Capricorn is saying, oh no you don't. This can also be governments, authority figures, bosses or employees, or just what? Society, inflation, <laughs> unemployment. You know, it's like putting the brakes on this open expansion. So rather than a natural 
flowing, open expansion. There is this kind of stuttering, puttering. You know, I want to charge, I want to go, but there's all kinds of blocks, stops, delays, limitations. So this Mars retrograde, and next week Mercury goes retrograde for three weeks. This is a time, and that's what I'm saying about, you know, this mantra. This is a time where it would behoove us to really contemplate, to be thorough. This is the positive side of Capricorn, okay? The positive side, you know, of this energy. Mercury coming up to Pluto, Venus, Mercury, and Capricorn. Even the moon coming around to conjoin with Saturn, yeah? And then go into Pisces. This is a time to... The first quarter moon is to initiate. And I want to encourage you to initiate a new strategy, like new plans, new attitudes that are geared towards the long range. It's not impulsive, be here now, Everything is cool, you know, I feel good, so I'm going to, you know, go for it. This is more a, a very good time period over these, the 12 holy nights and some, you know, some religious uh, ways of looking at the 12 holy nights, right? Uh, you know, right up to January 6th, you know, there are these days where, yes, it is an inner time. It's an inner time to contemplate soberly, seriously, conscientiously, taking everyone in the family, every one of, the, of your relationships, all of our relations. Yeah, I would say the indigenous people. Let's take into consideration the bigger, broader, wider picture. So it's not where I want to be a couple months from now. It's where I want to be a couple years from now. And if you can muster it up, right, where you would like to see the planet, right, a couple generations from now. If we keep the long range in our mind, in our heart mind, when we make our plans, and they're not selfish. Interesting, if you look at the chart, look at, look at that chart. All the planets are on one half of the, you know, of, of the zodiac. From Capricorn to Cancer, everything is over there. Right? And Mars, you know, is retrograde. And, 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 and you know, it's, anyway, you know, this, this is a very interesting dynamic because Aries, Taurus, Gemini, where we have Jupiter, Chiron, North Node, Uranus, and Mars, 
this is in the self instinctive preservation build up you know gather together be you know be about me whereas sun moon mercury venus pluto saturn neptune in capricorn aquarius pisces the last three signs of the zodiac the most cosmic the most collective consciousness in some ways the more you know the higher evolved energies of the last three signs so that's why i say yeah you know this is about looking before we leap this is about holding our horses this is about mastering our selfish personal instinctive desires for pleasure prestige you know money fame glory power whatever and really devoting neptune in pisces saturn in aquarius the highest version of capricorn really devoting ourselves to the good of the whole the good of the group the good of the family the good of our relations so this is a beautiful time for receiving downloads this is a beautiful week this is a beautiful cycle of energy for inner retrograde mars inner action yeah inner work mars is work mars is action retrograde is work on ourselves Mars goes direct January 12. This is not forever. Okay. Mercury goes uh, direct January 18. And after January 18, all planets are direct for like 3 months. So our time will come. You know, I, I it's going to like the shit's going to hit the fan. Yeah, I mean, talk about forward motion in February, March and April. Oh my god. You may even take this little time period as like a rest, a retreat, a, a you know, rejuvenate and renew yourself and prepare yourself for a wild ride in 2023. Yeah, so that's the kind of energy that I think is you know expressed in this new moon which i am expressing with this mantra yeah if i can hold my horses and look before i leap i can enter the new year with not only good cheer <laughs> but a bulletproof plan to succeed Capricorn is the manager. Capricorn is the planner. I always think of King Arthur, you know, as a as a great, you know, expression of Capricorn energy. The Knights of the Round Table, you know, and Camelot, right? And I mean, you know, just Avalon. I mean, it's just this this very heart, you know, leadership with heart. You know, how the expression of power 
with compassion, not damaging the rose window through war. Yeah? So let's divert. Let's focus our attention on the, the, the positive healing actions and enterprises and plans that we can set into motion during 2023 that are not only self-serving, but are really about, like I said last week, creating community, networking, supporting the web of life, getting out of selfish ego into philanthropy as much as is possible. Because there's a, a lot of people in need and there's going to be a lot more people in need the way I see it. One more time. If I can hold my horses and look before I leap, <laughs> I can enter the new year with not only good cheer, but a bulletproof plan to succeed. May you make your solid, powerful, intentional plans for 2023 coming up. Like I was thinking of, you know, sharing intentions, New Year's resolutions. I'm doing a Zoom call with my family so we can share New Year's resolutions. That's always like super hard for me with the moon in Gemini to like do these commitments and resolutions. And I hate that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, you know, this is really Capricorn is all about it, right? Capricorn is like, oh, yeah, nothing's achieved without commitment. You know, make a commitment. You know, resolve. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna contemplate and see if I can come up with an, one or two New Year's resolutions. If you have some New Year's resolutions, share them in the comments below. That'll be great. We could do a a, a New Year's resolution sharing, uh, you know, this week because really, like uh, the next Pele report, you know, is yeah gonna be like right. Right in time for that, yeah? Super cool. Anyway, namaste, aloha, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas. Get ready for the new year, baby. Ow! Check it out. Hasta luego. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, somebody said... That you know, I don't live in Hawaii anymore. I, I started the Bailey Report in Hawaii, so it was Namaste, Aloha, so much love. But now it's been suggested Namaste, Pura Vida, so much love. Pure life, pure life, Pura Vida, instead of Aloha. What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> I should take a poll. I don't know if YouTube does polls. <laughs> Pura Vida or Aloha? Namaste, Pura Vida, so much love.
Pass the talking stick back to you, Richard. All right. When uh, when looking at next Saturday night's chart, we find that during the week this coming week, Mercury is going to go retrograde. To add to all the troubles that we have on the planet, Mercury is going to be retrograde. I don't know what day of the week it is, but uh, it'll be retrograde by next Saturday. The sun will be the sun will be 11 degrees Capricorn, and Mars will be at 10 degrees Gemini. Everything else is in between. Let's see what else we got here. Venus will be exactly conjunct Pluto. Less than one degree from exactness. Pluto 20, 2739, and Venus 2729. So, um, Mercury at 24. So, uh, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. Everything else is pretty much the same. Moon will be in uh, early Taurus next Saturday night. But the big deal for the week is Venus coming up to conjunct Pluto and Mercury going retrograde. So that's where we're at. And I know, I know that uh, you know your Ukraine gets all the mainstream media attention yeah but uh we got we got problems with the taliban in afghanistan and the the leaders of iran uh they're just being so very nasty to their female population I mean, it's really heartbreaking, you know. So anyway, I guess my heart is growing in compassion because I'm—I feel really, felt really sad. It really made me sad when they started closing the the high schools in in Afghanistan, which was a story I heard a couple of days ago. I guess now. Yeah, the women yeah. can't go to school anymore. And that's that's you know, that's. That's aggression at the at the highest level. I mean, that's right up there with targeting yeah. your missiles at power plants in the middle of winter. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's that's you know. I just want you to know, Richard, that the uh, Western oligarchs have a look-alike Putin up there. That's not the real Putin. And they're doing that to manipulate the, the the story. So it's really the West playing both sides against the middle. It's not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. And then our our idiot our idiot Congress. Um, they committed. High, they committed high treason Thursday night. Period. 
a whole bunch of them for sitting there and taking a little listen to, you know, Zelensky on the floor yeah. of Congress. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a it's a. I don't know. A, we're, we're it looks it looks like the dark has taken over the United States. Well, that happened a long time ago. But it's, it's it's but it's it's so obvious. Yes, it is. Even the even the average human, you know. Yeah. Even 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 the, the people who haven't made it a point to uh, study history, keep up with current events, or you know anything intellectual like us, you know, like people like us, you know, even they can see it. A four thousand page budget that nobody even bothered to take the time to cut out the waste they're just spending it on themselves they're, they're terribly materialistic and self-serving I'll stop there I'm not I don't like to do name calling name calling is not helpful no it's not all right there go listening to Tanya. Yes, thank you. Here we go. There is power in in the people. There is. Gabrielle Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Starco's, the podcast where we look at an upcoming astrology numerology star code event to help us navigate it with the most positive and optimistic perception. And in this case, it is the solstice. Winter solstice in the Northern Hemisphere, summer solstice in the Southern Hemisphere, December 21st, 2022. This one is so positive, so powerful. It happens at 9.49 p.m., and that's universal time in London, which is 4.49 p.m. Eastern New York and 1.49 p.m. Pacific L.A. Now, on the day before the solstice, what makes it so optimistic and wonderful is that Jupiter, the planet of joy and optimism and expansion and wisdom, moves into Aries, the first sign. And as you probably realize, the solstices and the equinoxes are the four times in the year where we begin a new season. So with the winter solstice, we begin winter, of course, in the Northern Hemisphere, and it puts the sun at zero degrees in Capricorn. And Jupiter arriving in Aries the day before, Aries is the sign that begins spring, is amazing because it sets off an Aries point. So Aries points are the points where the seasons begin. Zero degrees Aries, zero degrees Cancer in the summer, Northern Hemisphere, zero degrees Libra, zero degrees Capricorn, which is what the winter solstice is. So 
Two powerful Aries points are being activated at once by virtue of Jupiter's placement. And it's followed two days later on December 23rd by the Capricorn new moon at one degrees in Capricorn. One is new beginnings. The solstice is the new beginning of the season. The new moon is new beginnings. Jupiter's zero, zero degree placement in Aries, the first sign, is new beginnings. So you get... The vibe of this solstice, it's very, very special and very blessed by Jupiter, which takes 12 years to journey around the zodiac to arrive in that zero degree point at Aries right at the moment of the solstice is quite stunning. So Jupiter is all about expansion and really going for it, having a broad view and seeing beyond the horizon. And Aries is about actually acting on whatever it is that you are envisioning. So this is really fantastic news. Basically, everything is possible. And not that it isn't during other times, but you'll really get it this time. All is possible. But here's the really cool thing about Jupiter. As I said, Jupiter moves into Aries the day before. And then on the moment of the eclipse, Jupiter will be at zero degrees zero seven minutes of Aries and that is actually quite significant because 2023 the year the new year which is also upon us another new beginning is a seven universal year in numerology two plus zero plus two plus three and is a seven so we are bridging the solstice is literally bridging the current year, 2022, with the new year, and of course, the new moon following it at one degrees is also creating a surge of this wonderful new energy. And the number seven itself is so beautiful because it signifies heaven on earth. Literally, the horizontal line is heaven. The diagonal line is a lightning strike of inspiration. And what it truly means is heaven is always here in your heart. As long as you listen for intuitive prompts, listen to source, source is you. And so that connection to heaven, bringing it and understanding that it's always been in your heart is really the key theme for 2023. And there's a lot more to 2023 beyond that, but this is the universal year. So this Jupiter placement, it's seven minutes into Aries, so zero degrees, seven minutes, is very significant as well. Another code to look at with this incredible solstice, it happens on 12-21-2022, and that date adds up to 12 in numerology. And when you look at those numbers, 12-21-2022, adding up to 12, doesn't it remind you a little bit of the code that we had when the Mayan calendar and other calendars ended on 12, 21, 12. So we have a revisiting here 10 years later of that ending new beginnings energy setting us free. Remember that 21 is our century. We're in the 21st century. The truth shall set you free is the ancient Egyptian meaning of 21. And it basically means that you feel free to explore joy by staying in truth and trust. So during this solstice, literally 
at the moment of the solstice, the sun will be square to Jupiter. Square is a 90 degree angle that usually causes some tension in order to get you to act, right? To like get off your seat and get going. Now with Jupiter, any square is really fabulous because Jupiter is so into opportunities, so into enthusiasm and being optimistic that the optimism then is activated, which is what we want. So this is fantastic for us to really feel that we have a real responsibility in terms of how we think about our life. So what is changing most and what needs to change most is how we mentally approach our life. So the smaller mind is very much about keeping things as limited as possible, getting feedback from the external, and not paying attention to that heart-brain connection. So we, in the, when we live in the smaller mind, which is thought mind, constantly thinking, which is the past, it's never fresh, it's never in the moment, we try to live up to definitions of perfection that have been habitual, that have been learned, that have been copied, emulated, imitated externally. So when we truly awaken, we leave that mental process completely behind and move into the heart, which activates the brain-heart connection, and we become source, we become sovereign, we become fearless. There is no fear in the present moment. And most of all, we trust. As I said before, the main reason for feeling afraid, being in fear, is not to trust that all is well. Trust has really been the only thing that has distorted and blocked our hearts from being fully engaged, right? So the higher mind has all that ability. The higher mind is connected to the rhythms of life, the solstices, the equinoxes, the lunar cycles, the galactic cycles, the astrology cycles. So the solstice is a time of miracles, a time of birth. And there's really nothing as miraculous as starting something new, starting a new life. In every breath from that new life that we carry forward, it's a brand new way to be if you allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so being in a place where you can, over the next few days, take the opportunity to be with family, it is the holidays, be with friends, and whether you feel they are awakened or not is not the point. Take the time to be with them. It is an opportunity to let bygones be bygones. And that is what being born means. A birth is cherishing the present moment, cherishing the time you have with them, letting the holiday be a holiday where everything is celebrated, everyone is celebrated, and you just are the truth of who you are. You are not trying to be a projection of per perfection that you've learned, right? So truly, this is where you and everyone join together as beings of eternal light. That is who you are. That is who they are, whether they know it or not, right? 
So the world needs more heart. It needs a lot less separation. Yeah. It it needs to be felt as a world that's not created by definitions, which are what separate us. When we define something, it is defined in a way that makes it different, which separates it. So regardless of how the external appears to you, you don't want to contribute to that separation by creating more of it through definition of you belong in this group, I belong in this one, etc. Or you come across as this way and, you know, my way is, is, is different. And, you know, all those things are stories that we create that we can repurpose now and completely birth anew. And so now we have the opportunity to have separation be the less dominant imagery that we attune to and that we have the world of peace and harmony and caring be the dominant imagery of the world that we are living in. And that world is here. It's only up to us to live in that ascended world. So yes, we can be sad, we can have grief, that's because our world is based on sensory feeling. It doesn't mean that we can't be in a world where we constantly forgive, where we hear beautiful symphonies in the ethers echoing throughout eternity, where we can tell our families and friends no matter what they present to us, we don't battle with them, but we literally love them. We don't define them. We just are who we are and we just share from a heart-to-heart perspective. So really what you have now is the opportunity to be with friends and family because community and connection are key, right? This is really where we're going now is the connection between all of us. Your family and friends, you let go of all of it because what you have to clear will always present itself in front of you. You will notice that so quickly. What you have to clear shows up in your life in any given moment. And so really the best advice that I can give is learn to enjoy this moment. Ask if you feel tension what it is that needs to be cleared. But learn to enjoy this moment, this moment, because this moment is the only moment you have control over. You don't have control over the past. You can't unchange something. You can't uncreate something. You know, if you feel you've made a mistake, in, in actuality, you haven't made a mistake. It's just that you're now rewriting the energy. You know, energy is alive, so you can transform it, right? You can change the story of the energy itself, but you can't undo a choice that you've already made. So, All it is, is to see each moment as a clearing moment, learn to make better choices. And that's really what awakening and ascension is. It's maturity. It's taking accountability. It is responsibility, responding. And that means being in a place of morality, integrity, morals, ethics, where we truly watch everything. We are aware of everything. Really, the key is to be aware. And if you go there, you will not undergo a regurgitation of something, a rebirth of something. You will literally 
let yourself be new. And that requires to stay in a space of forgiveness in every moment, because as as things fall apart, as they are, uh, they no longer have a reason for being here. They're no longer needed. And that's why we're experiencing the falling apart process now. We have, we're allowing it to fall apart so we can bring it into the light, remembering that we cannot undo what's been done. All we can do is make better choices. And so the greatest gift of this solstice is truly that you are going to find very, very rapidly that there is more acceptance of each other, of all of us, than there ever has been before. And that is the greatest gift of source, because together we are much more powerful. Together we become source, because we are source. We're not divided. So when you allow yourself to become source and allow source to work through you, the only thing that's going to remain is what you call yourself. Everything else is embodying source because you've allowed everything around you to be released and become new in every given moment. You're letting source speak to you, speak through you. You're letting everything be source information. So it's actually sourced from source. There is source life. There is source love. There is source peace. There are no assumptions. There are no opinions because it's not yours versus mine because there's no emotion attached to it. You don't have a, a, uh, a stake in the outcome, which is what happens when we start defining. We literally have a stake in the outcome and then we have opinions and then we have uh, discussions which turn into heated discussions because of the emotionalization, right? We have emotions attached to the opinions themselves. It turns into an argument and you know how it works. We've all been there, done that, right? So when you just let light be light, knowing that light is just information, it is neutral. It doesn't carry an emotional attachment. It just is neutral information. And you let love to reside and wrap your heart in a space around this light, this information. Everything starts glowing. And that's when you start seeing God in all things, without exception. So if the solstice is anything to you, it is to allow that light, that love, that source, the neutral source to flow through you, to release opinions, to live every moment in a space of forgiveness and letting go so that you are born every moment and that is a true solstice for you that absolutely will change everything because you are then living in an ascended world and you can be living on the same street with your neighbor two houses apart two apartments apart and you're both in different worlds So happy solstice to you and your family and loved ones. And if you want to know more about 
these kinds of spiritual topics that are very practical and down to earth. I have a free masterclass you may want to watch over the holidays. Go to spiritualmasteryclass.com. That masterclass is all about the secret to spiritual mastery and the important difference between individuality and uniqueness and how your natal sun and natal moon have a profound impact on how to live in a place of abundance and how to connect to source very, very quickly and many, many more secret tools. It's really fun. It's free and you can watch it at spiritualmasteryclass.com. So enjoy that. Have a beautiful solstice and a happy holiday And I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Lots of love. After talking, stick back to you, Richard.
is the glamour. Mm-hmm. That's one thing he point he points out here. He also points out here. Uh, da, 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 let's see here. We have carried a consecutive theme steadily and have traced the threefold aspect of world illusion as it appears upon the mental plane and their conditions the intelligentsia of the world as it appears upon the astral plane where it constitutes the glamour to which the masses of men succumb. We shall now consider the world of Maya in which we physically live and move and have our being. I wonder if those who read my words appreciate the importance of this entire subject or if they are aware of the wide field of service which it opens up, making practical, as it does, all human living and indicating likewise the steps why bear whereby reality can be known and all veiling forms disappear. Behind these words of illusion, glamour, and maya lies truth. This truth is the clear consciousness of being, of existence, and of essential initial reality. That is the reason that Christ stood mute before Pilate, who symbolized the human intellect. He knew that no reply could convey meaning to that veiled, inhibited mind. Illusion is the mode whereby limited understanding and material knowledge interpret truth, veiling and hiding it behind a cloud of thought forms. Those thought forms become then more real than the truth they veil, and consequently control men's approach to reality. Through illusion, he becomes aware of the apparatus of thought, of its activity expressed in thought form building, and of that which he succeeds in constructing and which he views as the creation of his intellect. He has, however, created a barrier between himself and that which is. And until he has exhausted the resources of his intellect or has deliberately refused to utilize it, his divine intuition cannot function. It is the intuition which reveals true being and which induces a state of spiritual perception. Then the technique of the presence becomes an established 
habit. Glamour in its turn veils and hides the truth behind the fogs and mists of feeling and emotional reaction. It is of unique and terrible potency. Owing to the strength of human nature to identify itself with the astral nature and to the vital nature of conscious and sentient response itself. As you know and have here been taught, glamour can only be dissipated by the inflow of clear, directed light. This is true of the life of the individual or of humanity as a whole. Illumination reveals, first of all, the existence of glamour. It provides the distressing contrasts with which all true aspirants wrestle, and then gradually it floods the life to such an extent that eventually glamour completely vanishes. Men see things then as they are, a facade hiding the good, the benevolent, and the true. The opposites are then resolved, and consciousness is superseded by a condition of realization, a realization of being, for which we have no adequate term. The technique of light becomes a permanent condition. And there you go. That's pages 240 and 241. He also says somewhere in here that your sun sign is a indicator of where you ended up the theme of you know the theme that you were working on in your immediately past incarnation, and that your rising sign indicates your theme for your opportunities in this incarnation. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's a different. That's a little bit of a different way to look at your your sun sign and your rising sign. Mm-hmm. And then further, I would I would say, uh, oh, there's this this thing with no apparent source that says I give you I give you a year for a day, or, you know, a day a a day. A day in the life of the soul is a year in the life of the personality. So if you uh, if you live uh, if you live seventy years, for example, and you were born at ten degrees of Scorpio, you count forward seventy degrees, and that's where. You end this life, and the degree of that sign when you pass on 
It'll be your next sun signs. So count count forward the years of the life and convert that to one degree per year. All right. And then that'll be that'll be, you know what you're working on right now. Right? In astrology they call that the art of progressing the chart. You progress the chart. Right. The sun, sun moves one one degree for every year you've been living. And uh, if you happen to die that year, that's where you're going to pick up your next incarnation in, in that theme for, you know. And then your soul will pick the rising sign as it looks for its opportunity in its next incarnation. So, all my all my friends with Libra ascendance, we came we came in here working with balancing as our opportunity for this lifetime. All those Libra themes, if you've got a Libra Ascendant. And I guess, uh, let's see here, there was something here which I had made a note. Let me, let me check this out here. I gotta put the phone down for a minute, but let me let me quickly. Okay, Richard, just it's got at the time here. We're getting pretty wild out I there. I guess we're out of time, aren't we? We are. If you're gonna, yeah, we are. All right. If you can oh, find, see, I didn't read that right. I was supposed to be reading from a different page, but that worked out all right. It that's did. a good. That's a good note, you know. It is. All right, beware illusion and glamour. And uh, you can't do much about the Maya because that's more physicality than uh, mental stuff. Peace out. Namaste. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Hey. Yeah, look, I, I love you all. And, I love uh, you all. Well, yeah, we all love you back. And yeah. we'll see you on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Uh, New Year's Eve with Mercury retrograde. Get a good rest tonight. I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Well, we've got. I was born with Mercury retrograde. This is true. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, retrograde in Capricorn is very different from all other. Retrograde. Oh. I mean, it is the tenth sign, right? Mm-hmm. And it does rule the tenth house. Mm-hmm. So, meditate on that one. Yeah, completion and new beginnings. I'm out of here. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Richard. All right, let's do it, Mama. The numbers. Uh, seven two zero seven one six 
He's never put an extra penny in my pocket, but I believe Christmas has done me good and will do me good. So I still say, Merry Christmas, Uncle. You said something, Mr. Credit. Yes. Now there's some out of you, sir, and you'll make this a truly Merry Christmas by losing your job. Uncle, don't be out on Mr. Cratchit. It's all my fault. You're quite the powerful speaker, sir. Only you don't go into Parliament. <coughs> don't be angry, Uncle. Dine with us tomorrow. Dine with you. So you're damn first. But why? Why did you marry? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love. <laughs> love. Oh, so you wouldn't come to see me because I'm married? Yes. Well, you never came to see me when I wasn't married. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Good afternoon. I'm sorry you're so stubborn. But I came here full of the Christmas spirit, so I say again, Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. And Merry Christmas to you, Mr. Cratchit. Merry Christmas, sir. You find my nephew amusing, Cratchit. He's a very pleasant fellow, sir. Yeah, you're another Christmas lunatic like him. If you say so, sir. Oh, it seems you doubt me, Mr. Cratchit. What are you, then? Your clerk, Mr. Scrooge. My 15 shilling a week clerk with a wife and family. Did you babble about Merry Christmas? I'll retire to Bedlam. Sir, do you know this area? Tolerably well. All the way into the district, we're looking for the offices of Scrooge and Marley. Some 50 yards along on the right. Good, good. We're collecting charitable donations for the poor at Nakamura. You're collecting money on behalf of a charity from Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge? Yes, and Mr. Marley and other businessmen of the neighborhood. Yes, we think Christmas Eve is the most appropriate time for giving freely. Is the office of Scrooge and Marley? It is, sir. May I press your cue, sir? Uh, do I have the honour of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. He, huh. he died seven years ago this very night. Mr. Williams and Mr. Foster, you will offer our sympathy. Why? They're not relatives, are you? No, but we feel sure you must be thinking about him at this time. And I'm sure his generosity is represented by his surviving partner. At this festive time of the year, it is surely desirable that we make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. Don't you agree? I take it that you gentlemen are new to the district. New and eager, sir. You will agree, I'm sure, that many thousands of people lack the basic necessities, and many hundreds of thousands lack ordinary comforts. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons, sir. And the union workhouses, are they still in operation? I, yes, they are. I wish I could say they were not. A few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. How much? May we put you down for, Mr. Scrooge? Nothing. You, you wish to remain anonymous. I wish to be left alone. 
I don't make merry myself at Christmas time, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I support those institutions I have mentioned, and I expect the poor to make use of them. Those who are badly off must go there. Many cannot go there, and many would rather die. They'd rather die. They'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Mr. Cratchit, would you show these gentlemen out? Jacob Marley's face come out of the doorknob. I mean the door knocker.
Well, who are you then? In life, I was your partner. Take out money. Can you sit down? I can. We'll go with it. Senses. Yes, little things upset him. An upset stock can put him quite out of order. You could be a crumb of mouldy cheese, an underdone turnip. Mouldy cheese? An underdone turnip? Oh, some British beef. That could be mighty upsetting to the stock. There's more gravy than grave about you, chick. It is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, woe is me. And witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth, and turn to happiness. You fetter, tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. It is a ponderous chain. Do you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear? It was as heavy and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. Jacob. Jacob Marley. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to do. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. Oh, never to be able to make amends for this opportunity. Oh, the torture of remorse. Jacob, I, I don't understand why you're suffering all your life. You are a good businessman. That's why I'm suffering. The suffering I caused others is being repaid. Jacob, it was business. Business? Mankind was my business. The common good with my business. At this time of the holy year, I suffer most. I appear to you to light in shapes that you can see, I do not know. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day, trying to reach you. Listen to me, Ebenezer. My time on earth is nearly gone. I am here to warn you that you have a chance of escaping my terrible sin. A chance I got for you are always a good friend to me, Jacob. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is this the chance you spoke of? It is. 
In that case, I'd rather not. In that bad visit, no hope of escaping your fate. Expect the first morning when Bill comes back. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over and down? I expect the second spirit on the next night at the same time, and the third the night following at twelve.
come with me. Some other time, perhaps. I, I'm, I'm not rushed. I'm a weak chest. Monstrous head cold. Rise and walk with me.
such a delicate creature. But she had a large heart. So she had. You're right. I'll not deny it's very God forbid. She died young. Too young. Your sister married and had children. One child. True. Your nephew. Fred. Yes. Why you see a young Ebenezer talking there? The French, the old man. Again, one I am not 
Nothing in the world is so hard on as poverty fell. And there's nothing a professor to condemn with such severity as a pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. All your nobler hopes have merged into the one hope of being rich. One master passion engulfs you. Money. What of it? Even if I've grown wiser, I've not changed towards you, have I? Our promise to marry is an old one. It was made when we were poor and content to be so until we improved our fortunes. You are changed. When we promised each other, you were another man. I was a boy. How often and how keenly I've thought of this, I will not say. But I have thought of it. And can release you from your promise. No. No. Have I ever asked you to release me? In words? No. Never. How then? In your changed nature. In everything that made me love you. If this had never been between us, tell me, 
Would you seek me out and try to win me now?
Oh, is there a blessing? There is. My own. And would that apply to any meal, Miss Gray? Well, to any kindly given. To a poor one, most of all. Why to a poor one, most of all? Because it needs it most. Where are we going now, Mr. Cratchit? Every Christmas. My clerk, Bob Cratchit, the same Bob you pay 15 of a week. Every Saturday he pockets just 15 copies of his Christian name. And yet here I am that gives the Christmas present. Going to bless him. parallel to what's going on now, now right now. saw him in church because he was a cripple and it might be pleasant for him to remember on Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Not many remember that, you can count on it. I think he's getting better by the day. 
It's gotten stronger, Mother. Everyone, we go to the table. Dear God bless us. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. God bless us. God bless us. Everyone. 
Is there no chance that boy will be spared? Not if the future remains unaltered. Mm-hmm. But so what if it happens? If he's going to die, he better do to quickly decrease the surplus population. Man, if you be a man in your heart, forbear that wicked count until you've discovered what the surplus really is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions. Like this poor man's child. Oh God, to hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing there is too much life among his hungry brothers in the dust. A toast, children. To Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. Did you say Scrooge, founder of the feast? Well, my dear. Founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon and I hope we'd have a good appetite for it. Oh dear children. <laughs> Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. Oh dear. Christmas Day. I'll drink to his health for your sake and the days, not for his. Long lasting, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. A nice gesture. A long life to him. Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. He'll be about as merry as a graveyard on a wet Sunday. <laughs> Let's forget everything, Mr. Scrooge, and enjoy ourselves. Here's a song, Tim, lad. night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round your virgin, mother and child, holy and tender
<laughs> he said that Christmas was a humbug. He really did. It seems the less Uncle Scrooge knows, the more stubbornly he knows it. <laughs> the narrower a man's mind, the broader his statements. Well, what was the Thank you, my dear. Do you think he believes it? About Christmas and humbug? Oh, yes, he believes it. More shame on him, Fred. That's what I say. More shame on him. Oh. Well, if you say so, so do I, Miss Betsy. Oh, Mr. Hayes. Please, call me Topper. Everyone I like, call me Topper. Oh, Mr. Topper. (laughs) (laughs) My uncle's a very comical old fellow, but I'll not say anything against him. Eat the poker, Topper. You're so easy to drink. Why won't you say anything against Uncle Scrooge after the way he's treated you? Why won't you, Fred? Because I think his offences carry their own punishment. I've no patience with the man. Well, uh, Mr. Scrooge certainly has very few friends. He's the most uncivil man I've ever met, Mr. Bennett. He never says good morning or good evening or Merry Christmas. He leaves a bad taste in people's eyes. Poor devil. Who suffers from his ill humour? Only himself. By not making merry with us, I'm sure he loses pleasanter companions than he can find in his own thoughts. Either his mouldy old office or his dusty chambers. Anyway, I mean to keep the door of happiness open and give him a chance every year to slip in whether he likes it or not. The poker topper. Scrooge and the uh, magical man that's taking him to all these different scenes. He's right in the room listening to all the people talk about him. (laughs) He's got a very funny look on his face. I don't understand why your husband offends Mr. Scrooge. It's because his mother loved Scrooge so when they were children. If my mother loved someone, they must have had a good heart in them, just as she did. She gave that heart for you, my dear. That's why I love you. They're talking about your little sister Fran, aren't they? Yes, they are. I sometimes forget that Fred is Fran's child. You shouldn't. We have to go now. I just walked out of the window. I saved my shrimp tails and jar. I just walked through the walls and out they go. Yeah, just like mother, huh? Hey. Let's pay consequences. Cupid's coming. Dumb crambo. Blind man's bluff. Let's play blind man's bluff. Game spirit. Games. It's been so long since. Let's stay a little. Oh, my God. 
night is waning fast. It is precious time to me. I know. Lead on. Ah, spirit, the stock exchange. Now I feel at home. I know he's there. Here, prophet is worshipped. Prophet is everything. <laughs> I can't find out the truth about Elspeth. No, I don't know much about it either. I only know he's gone. When? Well, just last night, I say. Well, what was it? I thought he'd never die. God knows. What about his money? We'll get it. Not me, that's all I know. <laughs> it's likely to be a very cheap funeral, because I can't think of anyone who'll be there. Ah, you think we should volunteer? I don't mind going if there's a lunch. I must be fed. I never eat lunch, <laughs> and I never wear black gloves. So there's not much in it for me. But if you're making up a party... Let's just say, we'll think about it. Life doesn't stop for diabetes. Sorry, everybody. Jumping to the next section. There's only one of us here, everybody. Keep him after he was dead, wicked old screw. Why wasn't he more easy like in his life? If he had been, he'd have had something to look after him when he was struck with death there. He started lying, gasping out his last there, alone there. I do not wonder, Joe. Tell me what the value is. Now speak plain, I'm not afraid to go first. We knew pretty well we was helping ourselves before we met. It's no sin. Only if we get cooked. 
always love you. Always.
enough torn down. Rings it all. Jesus Christ, I'll tell you, 
Joshua just got his lesson, everybody. Mm. I think there's one more. Yeah, one more section here. Fast, fast. Switch for the speed. Stay for the savings. Smile. You're on cricket. A Merry Christmas, you both. I'm nervous, fidgety, very reserved. In fact, I'm most awfully shy. I can't look a girl in the face when I blush, for I feel most overly shy.
very sorry, sir. I'm behind my time. Oh, yes, you are. Indeed, you are. Sorry, not to you, sir. Sorry, not to you. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm not going to put up with this any longer. And therefore... And therefore... I'm going to raise your salary. Ha! Merry Christmas, Bob! Bob. Uh, uh, Merry Christmas. That I have wished you in many... Uh, I, I, I'd like to help your family, if you let me. I will raise your salary, and we will discuss your affairs this afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. Make up the fires. Before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit, by another coal cell. <laughs> My uncle was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them. His own heart laughed. And that was quite enough for him. It was always said of Scrooge that he knew how to keep Christmas well. If any man alive possessed the knowledge, can that be truly said of us? And all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Christmas message, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, there's a piece we want to share here. Um, <laughs> I got a lot out of it watching it tonight. Uh, having having the knowingness of the state of affairs. I mean, the world knows that the United States is in big trouble right now. Mm-hmm. It's financially so corrupted and broke it's not funny and um, the display of the uh, inhumanity where the the Christmas Carol here is showing it too Mm -hmm. 
it's uh, it's a new day at coming, everybody. We know that. It's, uh, it's a blessing to be able to uh, work together with open-heartedness because I know it makes a difference, and so we all do. So this is called Gene Keys uh, Ayahuasca and Earth Healing. In challenging times, how can we attune and ground ourselves to the healing energy of Earth? As a speaker and mystery school teacher, Blue, B-L-U, shares the story of her awakening journey, transforming her profound hearing loss into her greatest gift. By directing her energy inward through the use of the gene keys modality blue discovered her extrasensory perceptions to read the energy of others and now guides women to understand their intuitive gifts to balance the planet's masculine and feminine energies she discusses her experiences with the psychedelic ayahuasca and the songs of shipibo people that help to activate the plant medicine's power to clear energetic fields and understand our potential for beauty, love, and unity. Blue is the founder of Fluorescence, a modern mystery school for women, and hosts the Deja Blue podcast. So here we go. This is 40 minutes, everyone. 39, to be precise. Here we go, based off of my astrology is to restore beauty, love, and unity on the planet. Nothing wrong with that. And that was when I had like a light bulb that went ding! Blue. People say things all the time. Words lie all the time. Energy? Energy never lies. Women have the Stargate Enterprise between their legs where they have the gift of being able to birth a child that was a non-physical being into the physical realm. It's a wonder. It's a miracle. And yet... As a society at large, we put a lot of emphasis on the masculine energy. And I'm not just talking about men and women, but I'm talking about the energies, masculine and feminine. Oh, do we? (laughs) I've never been in that much darkness. Four days and four nights? That's good. So when you're done, what has happened? Well, welcome to Beyond Belief. And I'm amazed at our producers on Beyond Belief because they constantly come up with just incredible guests And we've got another one for you today. Blue is the founder of Fluorescence, a modern mystery school for women. She's also a motivational speaker, host of the Deja Blue podcast with more than a million listeners worldwide. Blue, welcome to the program. George, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, you got to tell us how you got the name Blue. (laughs) That's a great question to start with. It Um, sure is. I was originally born Charlotte and absolutely loved my name, had no intention of changing my name. And it wasn't until I was in a meditation and I heard a voice very loud, very clear. 
your name is blue. It's like, blue? I'm not even a big fan of the colour blue, personally. Um, so it was a little bit discombobulating at the time when I received well, thank it. Well, God the name didn't call you purple or something exactly. like that. It could have been green, it could have been red, but it wasn't. It was blue. Um, and I went home and I told my friend about it. And she was like, oh, super interesting. I love it. And so I realised, I, I sat with it and it was like, no, it's not the actual spelling. is not B-L-U-E, it's B-L-U. Okay. And then I stumbled across a technology or a teaching by Richard Rudd called the Gene Keys. Yeah. Are you familiar? Yes, sure am. And my life's work in the Gene Keys, uh, based off of my astrology, is uh, beauty. And it says, if you were to sum up your life's work into three words, it's to restore beauty, love, and unity on the planet. Nothing wrong with that. And that was when I had like a light bulb that went ding blue so my birth name is charlotte so everybody calls you blue now but everybody calls me blue and it's the it's the essence of restoring beauty love and unity on this planet through my mission you have an interesting story it's the reason you're here tell us about it what happened to you (sighs) or or should i say what hasn't happened to you um it's definitely been an adventure i think just in general for everybody being on this massive rock hurling through space at millions of miles an hour held into orbit by a giant ball of fire it's quite interesting being human in general um very magical mystical multi-dimensional experience just being alive and my journey has taken me on many twists and turns that's led me into the seat today um but where to start well I would say that about seven years ago, I was diagnosed with a hereditary hearing disorder. Oh, really? My brother and I both um, were diagnosed with. We weren't born with it. Did it get progressively worse? Yes. So uh, what we were left with was that it's getting progressively worse. It's hereditary, so it's passed on through genetics, and there is no known cure for it. So essentially, being in my mid-20s, being diagnosed with this and experiencing... The hearing getting worse and worse over time. Sure. What it did is it actually sent a lot of my energy inwards. And I feel like also just going off of the Gene Keys, I was a bit a student of the Gene Keys and recognizing that the ethos within the Gene Keys is that our greatest challenge is also has within it the seed of our greatest gift. And I was presented with one of the greatest challenges in my life, which is realizing that I'm starting to become very disconnected with what's going on around me, where once I would thrive in social environments, all of a sudden I, I didn't want to be in social it spaces. It kind of dampened you, didn't it? Yeah, it was so dis- like discombobulating, confusing. I felt disorientated. And so a lot of my energy that was sent was going outwards and went inwards. And, Were you and then, depressed? Um, I was definitely I was definitely very sad and very confused, and I was definitely a victim of it. I couldn't understand why it was happening to me. Why is this happening at such a young age? Sure. I feel like I have so much of my life to live, and yet once I can't hear music or I can't hear my voice. So I spent a lot of time alone because when I was alone, I didn't have to face off with the reality that I wasn't hearing the world. What did the doctors tell you? The doctors really were scratching their head around it. They couldn't understand why it was really happening, and they also didn't have a cure for it. So basically what they shared with me was, Here's your hearing aid options. Um, that's really all we can do at this point. Which is what you're wearing now. I'm wearing my I just got them after s- seven years of navigating the world without you them. You can't I even just, see them. 
modern technology is amazing. Oh, they just. Are they really small? Tiny. Now, if you're not wearing them, can you hear at all? Uh, I do hear, but it's very muffled. So I'm. Can I would sound something like that. Yeah. It, you can imagine when everyone was wearing the ma- masks during the pandemic well, for the hard worse. of hearing community. Yeah. My heart is goes so deeply out to the hard of hearing community uh, because we live breathe. You know, when Albert Einstein talks about how energy is not created nor destroyed, it's only changed in form. So if we're hearing impaired, where our energy would have gone towards hearing, it now has to go somewhere else. And so for me, it went into the extrasensory perception of feeling and recognizing that people say things all the time. Words lie all the time. Energy, energy never lies. You can feel as soon as you're with someone, you can feel how much they're loving or if they're gentle or not. Exactly. Or not. If they're judging you, if they if they have division in their internal narrative, but they're saying all of the right things, you can feel it. Yet because we're distracted by our five senses, we don't give credit to the extrasensory perception of our intuition and our feeling, which actually I've learned is the only voice I want to listen to is my intuition. Beyond the mind, beyond the stories and actually into a deeper level of feeling. And that is what my hearing gifted me was recognizing I was given a truth filter that uh, the vibrational words holds messages that are behind the actual words themselves. And so it took me on a very deep internal journey that I ended up working with indigenous medicines, with ayahuasca in the Amazon jungle, learning about life beyond the veil on a vibratory level of what they're operating at. We'll get into some of those things too on how they've changed you. Now, your mystery school for women, mm-hmm. what is that? So it's, named, it's called fluorescence, and it is multiple parts. We have in-person immersions. We have online immersions. Okay. And specifically designed for women to activate the wise, wild, oracle, wisdom keeper, ancient mysteries in modern times through a curated curriculum that allows us to be able to come into our fluorescence, come into the fullness of our expression, come into to the be fullness who of you our, are, I guess. Exactly. At the core of who you are, not who you've been told you are from the moment you're born, but who you actually are based off of a genetic level. On Gaia's Mystery Teachings, Dr. Teresa Bullard talks about self-mastery and manifestation. Many things that you teach the women in in your mystery school. Mm -hmm. True magic happens when we begin to influence these higher planes of causation. But in order to consciously influence these higher planes, we must reach higher states of consciousness. This is something we can do by learning to shift our brainwaves overcoming limited thinking, and achieving a state of coherence with the quantum field. As we begin to master how we perceive and process information or energy, such mastery doesn't happen through a single process. We must take a multidimensional approach. Thankfully, we have many tools, both modern and ancient, to support us in making this shift. Some of the tools include meditation, which we use to bring ourselves into coherence with the zero-point field, activating our DNA codes, which helps us to express more of our potential in the physical body, exercises to expand both our physical and spiritual senses and perceptions. And these are just a few of the many tools available to us to help us become aware of our multidimensionality. 
Daily spiritual practices that include rituals and energy exercises are great tools for harnessing and strengthening our will. Meditation primarily helps to quiet the mind and expand consciousness. Rituals, on the other hand, are a more active way of directing the flow of energy and applying our higher will. And it is our will that directs our mind, which in turn influences the quantum field. If our will is undisciplined, then our lower mind tends to run the show. And that lower mind can be a monkey mind when it is not well trained. In the Western Mystery School tradition, we have a daily affirmation that we use to start our ritual practice. We say, it is by will alone that I set my mind in motion. Just contemplating this one affirmation on a regular basis can reveal many secrets to self-mastery and the laws of manifestation. It is a very important key. Do you practice some of those techniques? Yeah, the power of the mind yeah. and learning it's how to work with it, it as opposed to it being our master. We become the student and then also the master of the mind. Which now, is incredible. It is the greatest quantum computer that no man could ever create. And when we can actually understand the power of the mind and how adaptable we are and that our external world is created from our internal landscape and actually put more emphasis on refining our internal narrative, our internal relationship with our mind then we can actually start to create a reality that is a byproduct of a mastery within. And so this is the container, the space that we hold for women to fully step into their power, to step into their voice, their expression, their creativity, and more strengthening of the feminine principle. Because as a society at large, we put a lot of emphasis on the masculine energy. And I'm not just talking about men and women, but I'm talking about the energies, masculine and feminine. The masculine energy. Oh, do we? Is, yeah. is the hustle the do, the the make it happen. However, we override the feminine principle of our intuition, our our oracle, our ability to see beyond the veil, our magnetism, our receptivity. This is a very important essence to activate too. And so by empowering women into their voice, into their truth, into their expression, we're restoring the balance on the planet of the masculine and the feminine principles so that we can actually create a more home, harmonious reality for our children and our children's children. And How many people do you think have been in the, through your mystery school? Well, we only started. birthed it a year ago. Oh, that's and we've old. run three online programs so far. I would say about 100 women so far have gone through the program. And you've seen dramatic change in, in the results, haven't you? It is such a blessing to witness a woman give birth to her own no, I love that. there is a word called alchemy when i was younger i thought it was some guy in a little laboratory in ancient days <laughs> pouring things trying to make gold and everything what does alchemy mean to you i like to refer to alchemy on an emotional level in the sense of with being human, we have the full spectrum of the human experience. So we have the dark side of the moon, the light side of the moon, meaning we have the challenging emotions like the grief and the shame and the unworthiness as much as we have the joy and the play and the creativity for the most part. Now, for me, emotional alchemy is to recognize, okay, I have grief or I have been given something very challenging in my life, like you have a hereditary hearing disorder, for example. Now, it is up to us to recognize that we are actually not a victim of our circumstance, but we can utilize the challenge and turn it into something beautiful. That is alchemy, taking something that is led 
and turning it into gold. So everybody on this planet has been dealt something challenging in their life, something that has really stumped them. Now, what we do with it is what will actually allow us to leave a legacy of beauty in our wake long after we've gone, depending on our relationship with turning what is challenging into something beautiful and sharing it with the world. Lou, on a Gaia program called Initiation, Matthias Stefano talks about free will and alchemy, much like what you have. Free will is not exactly as we have taught it to be. It's not just our ability to choose our destiny in our life and what we are willing to do. But what really free will is talking about is our ability to create our own life. Imagine that you are someone that is writing a story to make a movie. And then you roll the story and you have the, has the whole idea of what you want to tell about this story. And then you have to make the costumes and then you have to see who is going to build all the backstage, who is going to build everything so it would seem real. Then you have to learn your own character. You have to build the character, which is your personality. And from there, you need to learn how to act. And once you are on the play, once you are being filmed, you stop being yourself. You become the character. And you can do whatever you want when you are filming it, because otherwise the story won't make sense. And that is why you don't have free will, because you already decided to leave what you have written. And that is why from the fifth dimension, the ones that are seeing all the script of the movie, they can change some words in order to it make more sense. And that is the holograms from the fifth dimension helping us to evolve and be aware of our evolution. A lot of beings in the third dimension are able to understand how this works. These beings were humans that were so in touch with the mother, with the nature, that were create that the creators, the elemental beings, the fairies, the the gnomes, the every every being that was coming from the darkness that we see with colors, the creators of, of our nature, they could speak to them so they could understand how to transform realities. Those are the alchemists. In history we call them the druids, the physicians, the the architects, the, the alchemists of history. So we have a few of them in every culture. The shamans for North America and Siberia and South America, they all can understand how reality works and they can transform these realities. They can open these portals to create new realities from nothing from the sixth dimension by using the ether that connects us all to create patterns in the outside. I think Matthias might be a reincarnated old sooth from way back when, because he's got a lot of knowledge for a young man, doesn't he? I mean, he's remembering all of his past life. So uh, according to him, we've lived many, many, many. And the fact that he has memory from all of them allows him to encompass a large amount of wisdom in a very youthful human. What did you think of what he was saying? 
I resonate very deeply with his message. And when I say resonate, I mean that my body feels at peace and it feels a remembrance when I hear his words. And I do completely agree. I believe that we are playing out a movie and we are the main role. We are also the narrator. We think 60,000 thoughts a day and our thoughts are creating a projection map out on our reality in which we live into. And so when we can actually start to shift the narrative, our internal conversation into an empowered story, that we place on subjectively what is, then we actually start to live a very empowered reality. Well, why is it that people seem to be so disjointed mm. and that you need schools like yours, people like Matthias, to put things back together? Why are people so disjointed? Well, I believe that the stories that we have told ourselves about this reality that we find ourselves in didn't necessarily start with us, but... From the moment that we're born, we have been told by our mother and our father and, and the people that we are around, the stories that they have picked up, maybe from their mother and their father, that have been projected onto us around what this reality is based sure. on. However, then we'll get to a certain point where we're asking, but there's got to be more to life. I don't feel fulfilled. I feel sad. I feel disconnected. And so the invitation in the spaces that we're creating is not to listen to the story that we tell about this experience. It's about empowering individuals to listen so deeply to actually their own heart and their own pulse and their own highest excitement that they create their world from the inside out. Have and you have you witnessed miracles, Blue? Yeah. I believe in miracles with my whole heart and soul. What I start create, to notice what, them on a daily basis. What creates a miracle? A miracle is something that the mind can't wrap wrap itself around, that it can't comprehend or be analytically understood. And yet it happened because you can see it or you can feel it, and true healing has happened. And I have seen many miracles, and I believe in the miraculous nature of what it means to be alive. Even the fact that women have the Stargate enterprise between their legs, where they have the gift of being able to birth a child that was a non-physical being into the physical realm. It's a wonder. It's a miracle. And yet, what, there's just over 8 billion people on the planet or just under 8 billion people on the planet and every single person from the day dot was a miracle. And yet we become so disconnected with the miraculous essence of what it means to be human. My granddaughter, who's married and has two lovely little kids, has made me a great grandfather. And I see their progression. They live in St. Louis through Instagram Mm -hmm. where she posts little pictures and little videos and I'm seeing, for example, the baby who's one years old now has gone from this little infant that could do nothing to now where she's really developing her own little personality and she's jumping around and she's just starting to walk a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It is a miracle and they're always all around us. However, we get so blindsided by feeling that we're supposed to be doing more and I'm supposed to be somewhere else and I'm running a story of unworthiness that we block ourselves up from seeing the miracles all around us. What do you do when you are confronted by somebody who's negative? Well, first and foremost, I feel like people that are in a negative spiral, in a negative story, are actually the ones that need love the most. And for the most part, people are repelled or there's a repellence from people that are running a negative narrative in the internet. Oh, you can feel it. Exactly. And so usually people distance themselves. However, that negative narrative is probably deeply rooted in unworthiness or self-loathing. I call them psychic vampires. And then so the energy will be sucked out yeah. of the space. You feel exhausted standing next to them 
even if they're not talking to you. You just don't know why you're drained. Mm -hmm. And that is based off of the non-visible realms. This is the extrasensory perception that I was talking about before. We pick up on these things. So you can also see if you look at somebody's reality, the external world, is a byproduct of their internal narrative. So if the external world is full of fractured relationships, um, stress, chaos, drama, gossip, their external world is a reflection of the internal narrative they are telling themselves and how they are relating to the world at large. Interesting. So if you want to create a life of true alignment, of miracles, of beauty, of synchronicities, of gracefulness, then the best gift we can ever give ourselves is to start looking within meditation practices, different technology, different tools, containers like fluorescence or different. There's many, many, many different spaces that give us the permission to actually feel what is going on internally as opposed to distract ourselves away. Because when we give ourselves the courage to feel what is actually there, then we actually return our power back to ourselves. And that is the world that we will create. You had mentioned ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. It's a plant medicine, basically, mm-hmm. isn't it? How valuable are they? How powerful are they? Um, even just you saying the word ayahuasca it brings up floods of uh, emotions and feelings. Uh, she is a female medicine um, originating from uh, um, Peru predominantly um, and various places around the world, uh, working with indigenous cultures. And she is a combination of a vine and a shakuna leaf. And it is brewed oh. over a long period. It's a very tedious process to brew this medicine. And what it, it's a very, very, very strong psychedelic tea. And it's thick, isn't it? Thick. The taste is really intense. You know it's medicine when you take a taste of it. Is it oh. gooey? Sorry? Is it gooey? It's gooey. It's thick. It depends who's made it, where it's come yeah, from, where was the vine grown. And it will access very strong psychedelic visuals, as well as highlight all of the unresolved parts of our subconscious mind. On the Gaia program Psychedelica, guess what they talk about? Ayahuasca. Ayahuasca was the only uh, psychedelic session where I had a sense of a personal therapist, kind of a uh, like a spiritual guide of some sort, uh, which I didn't see, but it was a very clear sense of um, energetic presence and, and telepathic communication as so guiding me in a very specific way through my sessions, looking what, what I should look at, what I should work on. And if I didn't do it, it sort of a return and was sort of putting some pressure on me to do it, you know, at, at, a, at an intention for me, what, what I should should do, what I should become in that session. The indigenous of the Amazon refer to it as Mother Ayahuasca, known by some to be the divine feminine principle and the first woman of creation. The ayahuasqueros or healers say it is her that we commune with for guidance before, during, and after drinking ayahuasca. It is she that allows us access to all that we've forgotten in this life and all others. However, in the initial ceremonies where people are introduced to this resident spirit, it can be painful and quite confrontational because so much of our trauma is unknown to us and therefore we rarely acknowledge our baggage as a part of us. So what Ayahuasca does is she she goes through the physical and energetic body, which are an emotional bodies that are totally interconnected 
and she's going through and and um, our traumas are being are held in in the tissues, and so she's going and ripping out that stuff, and so it hurts whether it be physical through nauseousness or even actual pain um, or. Sometimes we, we have that stuff in our, our thought processes, our patterns. And so we're holding on to the stuff. And ayahuasca is opening, 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 and pulling that stuff out. Have you tried ayahuasca? Oh, yeah. What does it do to you? Whew. Probably, again, a better question is what does it, what does it not do to you? Um, ultimately, how the setup of the ceremony is, is that you have either a maestro or a maestra or shaman that will facilitate and serve the medicine. And then you sit in a circle, um, depending on where it is, but usually it's called the maloka. And you have your own individual mat and you go up and you drink the medicine. And ultimately it's not one size fits all. It's going to be unique to every single person. Just like we have our own unique fingerprint. We have our own unique traumas. We have our own unique experience. Sorry. Does it hit you quickly? On average, for me personally, it will hit within anywhere between 15 minutes to 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and depending on the lineage that the facilitator, the shaman, the maestra or the maestro come from, um, they will sing Icaros. And Icaros are incredible technology of a chant that speaks directly to the medicine. Give us an example of this chant. Of an Icaros? Yes. Well, I don't personally sing Icarus. Come on, give it a try. Well, it sounds a little bit like, um, okay. Ayahuasca mama kura shamori iri kura kura kurpesitos limpia limpia That's a great voice. Arnada, what does that do? So it's directly speaking to the medicine and they will, um, for example, in the Shipibo lineage, and they will speak in Shipibo and it will say, send him bring me into the center of my seat, connect me with my higher self and clean me, clean me all that is not of the frequency of my heart. But it will be in Shapiro. So it speaks to the medicine and the Ikaros is directly linked. And then the medicine, almost like a snake charmer, the snake charmer will play the music and then the the snake will will be charmed by the music. The Ikaros is directly connected with the medicine and will go into the psychic shamanic field to clear away all that is not serving, whether it's from sexual abuse to addictions to depression um, to strained relationships. She will highlight what's in our subconscious that needs healing. And the only way out into our healing is through. So she's going to take you right into the deepest places of our subconscious mind and illuminate it from the inside out and then allow and us to purge ultimately ayahuasca is a purgatory medicine so mm-hmm. there will be purging experiences and purging i mean vomiting and what this is doing on an energetic level is clearing out those stories because but when that doesn't sound too fun um it's definitely not fun you don't go to drink, drink ayahuasca necessarily to get high and to um have a party Maybe she'll take you into states of bliss. Maybe that's what's needed. However, for the most part, it's really actively descending into your challenge. Is there a dark side of this? Yes, just like there's the dark side of the human nature. We have to make peace with our own darkness to actually reclaim the light as our default. And so, for example, if there's a deep-rooted jealousy or unworthiness, we must 
face it. And ayahuasca has an incredible gift of actually allowing ourselves to sit in the face of that story to actually rewrite the narrative. And then the alchemy of transmuting it into more space for a new narrative of beauty, love, and unity to be born. Are you very spiritual, Blue? Do you think that I'm spiritual from the questions that I've answered you? I would say yes. I'd say so. If I, if I were a betting person, I would say that. You bet, you bet on me to be a spiritual human. Yes, I do. I believe we're all spiritual humans. Whether we tap into it, whether we allow ourselves to strengthen that muscle, that's a different narrative. However, the, by very nature of just being human and being alive, we're connected to spirit. We have our mind, we have our body, and we have our spirit. So we're all spiritual beings. It's just, do we strengthen that muscle in the gym or do we sort of skip that part? Do you ever get assistance from spirit guides? Do I get assistance? Yes, every day I sit in front of my altar. And my altar is a sacred place, a place of beauty where the four directions are represented and where I sit in silence and I listen. And the greatest, one of the greatest teachings that I have learned from my hearing loss is where am I not listening? Uh-huh. So I spent a lot of time in silence listening to the subtleties. And I have different spirit guides, um, my ancestors, all of those that have shared my blood that have walked before me, different animals. Um, and uh, I would say Princess Diana is one of my guides. For sure. Really? Yeah. I, she comes in quite often in meditation. How does this, how does this occur? What, what mode are you in for this to happen? Well, for me to be able to hear the subtleties, I have to be silent. And so meditation, just sitting in silence and just listening. And sometimes just a visual of her face or her embrace uh, will come in. And then I'll just be listening. Okay, what are you here to, to, to share with me? And she was somebody that used her voice in a way that encouraged to be a queen of people's hearts, to love people. That's very special. And so she is an archetype that supports me to come and sit on a show like this and to speak from my heart. What is, Blue, a darkness retreat? What is that? That doesn't sound too fun. Uh, It's definitely another one of those things where it's like, I don't think I'm going here for the intention to have fun. I think I would go for an ecstatic dance party if I'm going to go with the intention to have fun. If I'm going into a darkness retreat, I'm going to face up with all parts of my What are they? What is it? So... And there is a darkness retreat in um, in Oregon, and it is a hand a man made tiny little hobbit home with a door that goes down into the earth, and it is a room where there is just a bed, a bathtub, a meditation mat, and a toilet. Underground. Underground, you are in the earth, and if I was to scream, no one would hear me because I am Why in are the middle you in of this nowhere. Place? Why am I in there? Well, I believe that as humans, we are oversaturated with distraction. We have Uh our cell phones and the amount of information input that is happening us from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. So you go down there, no radio, no television, no phone. You are in the pitch black. You cannot see anything. I've never been in that much darkness. Like no noise. There's no Wi-Fi signal. Can you see your hand in front of you? No. You can't see anything. It is pitch black. There's no difference if you have your eyes open or your eyes closed. You just feel for the bed and lie down? Acquainting myself with my environment. How long do you stay in there? I stayed in there for four days and four nights. Four days and four nights? That's true. 
How do you find food and stuff like that? So there's food that's delivered once a day, and there is a box on the wall from the inside and the outside. Like there are two it? doors. So they open and put the food huh. in, and then they close it so there's no light leaks. And then you open it from this side. And no human contact, I guess. No human contact. No. No. So when you're done after these four days and four nights,、mm-hmm. what has happened to you? I really believe that the switch has flipped from the doing mind to the being mind, and I think that we are called human beings, but actually we have forgotten, as a society, of what it truly means to be. There is such a restful restlessness of just. Must do the next thing. Must accomplish. When I'm when I'm doing, then I am successful. When I am not doing, then I am then I'm not、uh, being a successful human in society. There's just a deep ingrained belief, and it's exhausting. And I believe that I it it took me a couple of days to really get over the hump. But after I would say on the morning of day three, there was a deep sense of internal peace that I accessed, where I would go into meditation. And I was at complete peace with the nothingness. I, actually, I, I think I'd go nuts. Well, I think that there is an element of that is the hump to get into the stillness.、Um, I wouldn't say that it's for everybody. It's super challenging. And my level of gratitude on the other side of life—I felt like a newborn baby. I was hearing the birds for the first time. The feeling of the sun on my face, having this able body and this incredible quantum computer, which we call a body, to actually live my life. These human connections, the feeling of of the leaves crunching under my feet, the things that we are so distracted by and we take for granted every single day, or never notice, or never, never notice. notice because we've got the blinders on. I need to be doing more. Actually, being a human being and recognizing that a lot of magnetism is born when we can be at peace. Matthias De Stefano has words of wisdom once again. We in our planet and in many other planets had not word for good and bad. We all the time call the positive and the negative forces. And the better way to understand how these two forces work is if you have in a room light and you put yourself in the center. As closest you get to the light, the shadow behind you will be bigger. So the darkness is surrounding you, and as close you get to the main point of light, which is the purpose you had, the goal to touch the other perspective of yourself, darkness will go all around you. The light and the darkness were just projections. That the only way you can see both. As a creation is in the center. If you go through light or you go through dark, one of those will embrace you, and then you will be lost in one of those perspectives. So you have all these two forces to create realities, but if you move towards one of them and you lost in one of them. The universe will hit you from behind, and that's why to one of those forces we call the negative and the bad energies of the universe. The bad energies of the universe are just your own shadows trying to remember you that you are out of your way. When everything is going 
bad when the whole forces of the universe is telling you is this is not your way and suddenly everything goes down is not because there's a bad force in the universe is because you were so far away from yourself that that energy that we call the mission is pulling you back so you can find your center again the only reality is unity that's why you cannot go towards one of those perspectives because they are not true they are just a perspective to see yourself from another dimension words of wisdom blue once again he's done it <laughs> much like what you've said how do people hear your deja blue podcast How do they listen to it? They yes. can go on Spotify and just type in Deja Vu Podcast or even just on Google, a quick little Google search and it'll brrr, all different platforms. It's on all streaming platforms. Also, it's on YouTube. So if you want to watch the videos of it and see my face with my guests, Super. I do solo podcasts and I have a whole variety of incredible masters of their craft on the podcast going deep into the unspoken and into the taboo, but also keeping it light and fun and relatable. So that's the Deja Vu podcast and you can just find it online anywhere if you just type it in. Well, continued success and thank you for helping so many people. Oh, thank you, George. I'm so grateful for your time and your presence and your brilliant question. She's got incredible energy and you can just feel it because of the people she has helped over the years. I'm George Norrie, and thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Oh, that was very lovely, Ram. Thank you. All right, we're going to end this with some more music from our favorite folks here. So here we go. As you've seen, some of the music has been planned. Some surprisingly simple, like this one from a 16th century German manuscript comparing the birth of a Christ child to an ever-blooming rose.
every song has its place. But lest you think there is only high-minded music here, let me assure you, the Christmas concert is filled with music that is just for fun. Usually, the rows and rows of people in the seats behind me aren't just listening with their ears, they're participating in their hearts. And that includes both the young and those who feel young at Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody! Oh, <laughs> 
world before Christmas. But sometimes, after Christmas, things can go terribly wrong. The eighth day after Christmas, before they could suspect, I bundled up the evening's milking nine ladies dancing, ten words a living, eleven pipes piping, twelve drummers drumming. Well, actually, I kept one of the drummers.
singing carols together is a lot like being in a sleigh together. And that, in the end, is Christmas. It's Christmas for everyone, including a few of the people in the community. Oh, come on, Cookie. I'm sure there are a lot of things you like about Christmas. How about this? Oh, everyone who likes giving gifts, say I. Oh, I. Everyone who likes giving gifts, say I. Oh, I. Well, if you want to show it, then let the whole world know it. Everyone who likes giving gifts, say I. Ay, 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 maybe Christmas without cookies could still be fun. Yeah, but we do things together. Christmas is lots of fun. That's right, because Christmas is behind me, and it only takes one concert to figure that out. The original organ solo always seems to steal the show. From a 12 Days of Christmas with Sesame Street's Count Von Count, to Carols with Bells,
The organist is my friend Richard Elliott, who knows how to turn the organ into a symphony. Here's a brand new performance he created just for us. Prepare to be wowed. Children, 
including one from the treasury of Hans Christian Andersen. Bowing her head, warm tears fell onto her freezing hands. She covered the last of her matches. Fire in the stove, a feast on the table, lights on the tree. How could peace be gone, she wondered. There was something really then, something alive, something waiting. Believing as a child, she lifted the remaining matches and spoke to them simply. Can you bring Christmas back? Can you give me that beautiful world again? With a prayer pounding in her heart. She scrapped the matches against the stone wall, all of them at once. For a moment, nothing came. But then, slowly, a single flame took hold and burst into a bouquet of fire. Good King Wenceslas, originally written as a parable for children, also became a Christmas carol and it was presented with picture book illustrations. From the corner of the cottage, good King Wenceslas watched the boy dance and smiled to himself. The boy was taking the hands of the children and leading each one just as he had been led. Their sweet, innocent laughter was the music of Christmas, filling the room and ringing through the forest. In time, the king and his page boy reluctantly left the warm cottage and ventured once more across the snowy fields. Side by side they strode, now heedless of the cold night air, and the king knew that it was not too late. Now the blessings of Christmas had come to all of his kingdom, because they had come to the boy. Many of the stories have been about families. Through the long winter, she and her father would often sit around their fire, talking and listening to the cold wind blow outside. On these evenings, her father would sometimes look at her and pause. So much like her mother. The same bright smile, the same dark eyes. Some of the stories have been favorites for many years, like Pearl Butt's story of the farm boy who got up early to milk the cows as a Christmas gift for his father. Robert? Yes, Dan? His father was laughing. A strange, sobbing sort of laugh. You fucking fool me, did you? His father was standing by his bed, feeling for him, pulling away the covers. It's for Christmas, Rob cried, finding his father and clutching him in a great hug. He felt his father's arms around him in the dark. Son, I thank you. Nobody ever did a nicer thing. Oh, Dad, Rob said. I just want to be good. And then there was the classic O. Henry story of Christmas gifts gone wrong. And right. The best gifts, you see, do not come in packages at all. What makes them valuable is not what they cost to buy, but what they cost to give. Many inspiring stories have been found in history, including one from the history of music. In late August, Handel picked up his pen 
and began composing what would become a 260-page score. But not without a struggle. Suffering from rheumatism, the paralyzing effects of a stroke, and the psychological burden of enormous personal debt, Handel wrote. Day by day, note by note, he depicted a messiah who would bear the griefs and sorrows of all people everywhere, including his own. Oh. 
American Christmas Carol and influence in World War II. Shortly before Christmas 1941, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, at considerable personal risk, crossed the Atlantic in great secrecy to meet with President Franklin D. Roosevelt. The attack on Pearl Harbor had taken place only weeks before. On Christmas Eve, about to be at the White House, the two leaders spoke to a crowd of 20,000 gathered in the twilight. Churchill began his remarks. Here he was, he said, far from his own country, far from his family, yet I cannot truthfully say that I feel far from home. Here in the midst of war, raging, roaring over all the lands and the seas, creeping nearer to our hearts and homes, here amid all the tumult, we have tonight the peace of the Spirit in each cottage and every generous heart. Here then, for one night only, should be a brightly lighted island of happiness and peace. The following morning, Christmas Day, the Prime Minister and the President went to church, where with the congregation they joined in singing O Little Town of Bethlehem, which Churchill had never heard before. pilot Gail Halverson, who, during the Berlin airlift, gave two sticks of gum to children behind enemy lines, then dropped them candy with homemade parachutes, and inspired giving throughout the world. Soon, hundreds of airmen were donating rations. Operation Little Vittles quickly captured the imagination of people everywhere. Candy and handkerchiefs poured in from around the world. Hal became known as the Candy Bomber and the Chocolate Pilot. Across West Berlin, children gathered to catch the parachutes and share the candy with each other. And they sent hundreds of thank you letters, like the one addressed to Dear Uncle of the Heaven. Some included maps and instructions. Fly along the big canal to the second bridge. Turn right one block. I live in the bombed-out house on the corner. I'll be in the backyard every day at 2 p.m. Drop the chocolate there. Day by day, the parachutes brought peace and the candy renewed hope. The children made friends of their former enemies and their parents' hearts were soft. The wounds of war began to heal. By December... The Little Littles operation had gathered 18 tons of candy from American candy makers and three more tons came in from private donors. The spirit of Christmas was descending on people everywhere, lifting them up in the joy of giving.
surprise that in times of war and suffering, the spirit of Christmas is needed most. In mid-November 1873, an ocean liner, the Ville de Havre, set sail from New York bound for France with 313 passengers on board. One can imagine their festive Atlantic crossing with ribbons of red, swags of evergreen and Christmas carols wafting through a dining room sparkling with candlelight. But at about two o'clock in the morning they were suddenly jolted awake in their berths. Despite a clear starry sky the Ville de Havre had inexplicably collided with the Loch Hearn, an iron-hulled Scottish clipper. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And that was the conclusion drawn by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow at Christmas time. Reading his words today, we ask, when conflict rages and pain, grief, and loneliness overwhelm us, where is the music of hope and peace? For Henry, the answer to that question has everything to do with Christmas. After Fanny's death, he had written... So strong is the sense of her presence upon me that I should hardly be surprised to look up now and see her in the room. Death is a beginning, not an end. On that Christmas morning, it is clear to Henry that war, injury, and even death are not the end. The rising sun turns the icy river to silver, and the windows of the Longfellow home to gold. Henry's children, bundled in winter wool, are whisked past snowy fields, through wooded hills and valleys, along the road to home. They look up, blinking and giggling in the falling snow, and they hear the sounds that make Christmas Christmas. They hear the bell. From his desk, Henry hears them too. Renewed, he plunges his pen into fresh ink, joyfully drawing it across a sheet of snow-white Again, and 
own family lives on, Charles lives on, a nation lives on, and we, each one of us, may live on as well in hope and peace forever. shares the biblical story of the nativity. Notwithstanding troubles in their world, Joseph and Mary went up from Galilee to Bethlehem to be taxed. And while they were there, Mary brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Nearby, shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night must have been startled when an angel came upon them. The scripture says they were sore afraid. But the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And that's what these walls would tell us, if they could talk. Whatever we believe about the meaning of Christmas, its message is universal. That's what the shepherds learned. After they received the message from the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts appeared, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward all. The music, the stories, the singing, the dancing, and the sharing are all a reminder that the birth of Jesus Christ is about peace and goodwill for everyone. It's why the joy of Christmas really is joy to all the world.
Perhaps the greatest blessing of these concerts is the reminder that the spirit of the season is within us. And the joy of the season is awakened whenever we let heaven and nature sing the songs and carols of Christmas. May it ever be so.
I hope you could hear it better than some of the things that some of the channels don't play as loud as the other ones are and I hope that was okay <laughs> alright so I'm just going to read from our sister Caroline she has a message here for us uh <coughs> think that wait a second there might be just a little bit more here what it's like backstage what it's like performing to an empty house as we do when we rehearse doing this concert is different than usual because generally you get one take 
voice cracked. I can't do that one. <laughs> Come through this door. You get a lot of rehearsal, which is fantastic. But doing it this way, where we get to go back and something's not quite right, it's it's a little less terrifying. And tell us about the joy that music brings into the world at Christmas time. When? Here's my door. <laughs> We've got like people holding lights. We've got, and these are moving shots are really complicated. It's not just really music. We've got Jed on the steady cam, and he's walking backwards while he's doing this, and he has to stay in pace. We got somebody on a teleprompter, and that has to be working right. And then we've got other camera people down there, and you know there are just a lot of things that need to work perfectly together. And people don't appreciate that, and they shouldn't. Because they should just enjoy the show. Aren't you surprised? One of the things that's really great about music is it has a way of connecting people and bringing people together in a very profound and deep way. Speaking of matters of the heart, you hear that music? I think I know who that is. Mac Wilberg, is that you? It's me. Ah. I love Mac Wilbur. And I love conversations with him about everything. I love talking to him about music. Because what you hear and you feel from his music, that's 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 who that guy is. His string writing is just so much. He literally writes every single note for each of the members of the orchestra. I said, Mac, how do you how do you get that sound? And I'm not sure if that sound comes from specific articulation he's using, or am I just hearing this beautiful music that is coming straight from his heart? It's interesting because you know this show wouldn't have happened. Without us being in this terrible pandemic, and it's forced people to become creative in a different way. For about two or three months in New York City, at seven o'clock every evening, people would open their windows and clap and cheer and make noise. And they were in the cars, they honked horns, and that was to honor all of the frontline workers. So one day, I just spontaneously started singing the Impossible Dream off the window. Everybody on the street stopped, and they they looked up, and I thought, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and so the next night, I hear somebody from the street say, "Sing the song." And so, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and I sang the song again. But I think the thing that struck me the most about it was I saw a neighbor a few weeks after that, and he he came up to me and said, "Ah." I want to thank you. I, I come out every single night. I come out with my family, my boys. We come out to hear you sing. It's the one moment of my day when I get to feel joy. And I went, ah,、oh, because I forgot the power of art, the power that we are able to give as artists. That I think is what the spirit of Christmas is really about. It's joyous. It's a celebration of a birth. It's a celebration of art. It's a celebration of people working together. That's why people love to come here for the Christmas concert. That's why it's sold out for all of these twenty years. 
when you come and see people singing together and making art together, it's like, oh, that's what human beings can do when we decide to do something together for a common goal. Look what beauty we can make. We can cure a pandemic. Uh, there are so many things we can do when we put our minds to it and work together. Miraculous things happen. Okay, that was just the last little complimentary conversation. Okay. So here we have um, a message to lightworkers. Um, Maybe this was from the last time. Hmm. Well, we'll say it again. <laughs> Greetings, friends. We are very pleased to have this moment to speak with you again. At this moment, you are traveling through a field of light that is unprecedented both for your galaxy and for your planet. And so, be aware of certain shifts occurring that you may not be expecting. For one, time will appear to move far more slowly and far more quickly some days than you have experienced on the Earth's plane previously. There were times in your distant past, such as in ancient Lemuria or Atlantis or other great civilizations, Rama, I think this was from the week before. I guess I'm just reading it again. <laughs> it's okay. But, um, all right. So now these times are returning. Um, though not with your complete awareness as of yet regarding how to work with time or distance so as to shorten or lengthen or lengthen it according to your preference or need. What you are experiencing also are waves of energy that are revealing aspects of your psyche at a very deep level, such as you have not had experience of for many thousands of years. Your physical body is likewise beginning to function differently to prepare for higher frequency matter. And so, you may feel that things are out of sorts there as well as in some ways. As Earth reawakens and shifts according to what she is evolving into, you yourselves are also shifting. You may find yourself suddenly realizing something you had not consciously known before are suddenly viewing an old situation very differently than how you have viewed it in the recent past or getting glimpses of future events with the feeling they have already happened. <laughs> yeah, déjà vu. Parlez-vous français? <laughs> These and other documents 
occurrences will be happening as time shifts to being more liquid, more malleable, and in many ways in a state of collapse as you move to the present moment existence of the fifth dimension. Physical matter is likewise shifting. The earth herself is going through much that would render her unrecognizable in some ways. Were it not that she is receiving great assistance from your star nation families. Yes. Just turn the page. Hmm. There's a few words here that are hard to read, Mama. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway. Um, you are beginning to remember your gifts in the distant past. Some of you were great artists or composers, working with the music of the spheres to shift consciousness to higher levels. Some of you were great healers, using color, light, and sound vibration to heal. Some of you were priest scientists or seers whose visions led whole cultures to higher vibrational forms of living. Others were ambassadors, joining worlds in peaceful accord and intercultural cooperation. Now is the time you begin to remember your true gifts, long hidden for your own safety. And now is the time you begin to recognize and find again true soul family members, true soul mates, true alliances of thought and purpose. You look forward to this great changeover to higher forms of living and higher consciousness than humanity has known for millennia. Part of you is unsure, yes, yet part of you is celebrating. And in this Yuletide moment, as the solstice beckons and great change is afoot, and the high heart moves to the front of our awareness, and to the front of human life, we encourage you to give thanks wherever you can, even for the hard moments, for those too are part of this unprecedented, unprecedented moment of breakthrough. This will steady your energies and keep you grounded as you remember to be as fully present and thankful as you can be for anything you see, feel, hear or experience is this to be the way life shall proceed on earth from now on only for a time for there will come a time of greatly increased steadiness and sureness when every footstep follows squarely on solid ground and you will know the way forward as a human race re-entering galactic life and as individuals celebrating your newly rebirthed existence. Yet for the moment, life is feeling rocky and unsure, and this can be a stress at times. And so we encourage you, as always, to take quiet times in nature, to meditate or to take some other quiet time each day, to listen to healing high vibrational music, to spend time with those who build you up and support you, 
as you offer the same to them. All of this and laughter, whenever possible, will assist you in these days of tremendous transformation. No need to hide from these great gifts. You created this, friends. Indeed, you did. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. And uh, let's see, just another momentito. And so now, co-creators and magicians of this universe that you are, breathe in and out with deliberate intent to remain in this time and to flow with the shifts rather than suppress or avoid them. Now is the day to open wide your arms, to open your heart, to proclaim yes to that same universe that burst your soul so long ago. Stand tall. You are reclaiming your beauty, your uh, uniqueness, your power for your own life and for millions of others. For this you came. Namaste, friends. We are with you always. This is not... Okay. Um, let's see. I guess we can leave it there. We can. And I'm going to pass this talking stick to my sister, Rainbird, as we continue to celebrate. Let's keep the spirit in our hearts right now. And they say that cold weather keeps us alive and going. So here we come uh, to with this talking stick with all the spirit of angels we have heard on high and uh, with our feet on the ground here on this earth, this place. Make it a sweet place to be. And I understand you make cookies today. Pass the talking stick to you, Rainbird. <laughs> I don't know if my feet are on the ground. I feel like I'm, I'm with, right with Santa Claus, with, uh, Rudolph and flying through the sky. <laughs> so you've been doing something Santa Claus-like today, Lady Madison? Yes, yes, yes. I finally got the table cleared off and all the stocking stuff and all the presents wrapped and the cookies made. So I'm ready now. Merry Christmas. Wow, that's a big, well, enjoy. I hope the family is as uh, able to appreciate being with you, too, Rainbird. I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> you can cover all the bases. You can't always cover all the bases, but you can try. <laughs> uh, I believe you're right, Commanders. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. That was a beautiful Christmas Eve program, and it just really flowed and was just really good. Really enjoyed all of it. So thank you. I know I speak for all of us, and I know with that I want to wish you a very, very Christmas and pass the talk stick to you, Rama. Here it comes. <laughs> Okay. Well, tell us what you got to share with us, Rama. Um, this is um, Antonio Vivaldi, Gloria in Excelsior Deo. Okay, let's hear that. Gloria in Excelsior Deo. And love and light to all of us. And enjoy your Christmas morning. I, whatever you might be doing, um, 
and uh, thank you for this whole good year and we have a week for New Year's to come uh, so uh, as Rainbird said keep the elven spirit in our hearts and inshallah sat down dot nom tea Merry Christmas Merry Christmas <laughs> Aloha and mahalo nui loa mela kaliki maka as they say Merry Christmas in Hawaiian. I gotta learn how to say Happy New Year. I got a week. <laughs> Namaste, everybody. Much love. Aloha. <laughs>